Second Bananas is recorded on unceded indigenous land belonging to the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Unceded means that this land was never surrendered, relinquished, or handed over in any way. We support the various strategies that indigenous peoples use to protect their land and their communities, and we commit to working in solidarity with them. We acknowledge that as people living and working on these lands, we are accountable to those who have cared for this land since time immemorial. It is our intention to continue learning how to honor this responsibility. I think that should be the entire Patreon is is Joe's Joe's stories. Joe's 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 stories from theater camp. <laughs> hey, write it down. I mean, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> you sign, you I don't know. We we all gotta have a story type. I don't know. Yeah, what kind of so what's what's, what's steamy what's, content? Wes, what's your equivalent to Joe's stories about theater? I camp? went to well, I went to a summer camp once. Once. Yeah, just mm. once. No, I mean, like, what was your weird the the thing that's kind of kooky about your childhood? About my childhood, like, that just like you thought was normal at the time, but you then you realize years later, oh, not everybody did this. Not normal. Not normal. I mean, I think theater camp's pretty normal. I but mean, not necessarily something guys, that did, everybody. Okay, so you guys does. also did theater camp. No, like camp. I think I, I just it felt like a much more universal camp. experience to me. Okay, yeah, but like. It doesn't even have to be a camp. It can be like just like, I don't know. Like One, my other friend was like a, a like cha- a like competitive ice dancer. Yeah, well, doing so the like, figure skating routines, and it's just not uh, like something that everybody does, right? I definitely went to hockey yeah. camp one year. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of tough. I was living in Ontario and playing hockey there, and then came back to Edmonton in the summer, and like my family for some reason thought it would be a great idea to go to hockey camp for a week um, (laughs) on of one of the two weeks back in in alberta that we're supposed to be like visiting family and stuff or whatever right (laughs) and so i get dropped off at this hockey camp and everybody is like it seems like they're like two feet taller than me and like i wasn't like a small kid necessarily but i'm also right. like no you're you're tall i imagine like you're but tall i'm also now. like 12 you know yeah and, and your girl spirit maybe i'm like these these are some fucking 15 year olds right here yeah. <laughs> gigantic and they can skate circles around me oh, wow. and i'm just clearly like much younger than all of them so i didn't really get it i didn't have the greatest time but i felt like i built a lot of character ah, yeah interesting <laughs> i didn't but yeah it was, it was a tough time actually. wow that's it that's really that's a good one to hear because i yeah i know i like i have like i know a lot of people who loved hockey and i was just like oh no i loved hockey oh okay i, I just didn't enjoy that camp right okay that all. specifically i was like damn like what <laughs> what these guys are crazy that's similar well not actually it's not similar at all to my experience at basketball camp i like thought i went into basketball camp like i love basketball camp in like right, the right, early yeah. to mid 90s so i was like so into basketball and i went to basketball camp one year and i like thought i was good because i was like on my school team i was good and then i right. went to basketball camp and i wasn't like i was just like average and then I think I won like the like most improved player or something, and I was like, "Fuck, man, I must 
Like I'm not good. I remember leaving basketball camp thinking like, oh, no. Damn, I'm not really good at basketball. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I also went to band camp. Band camp. Whoa, Joe, I, uh, are you? You're a triple like threat, I'm, aren't you? I'm de- <laughs> no, I didn't. You're a I didn't keep threat. any of them up. I'm terrible at all of them except like talking. Then, oh, well, then you're maybe you're a jack of all threats or yeah, something. So wait, <laughs> you also went to talking camp. Talking yeah, camp. I went to talking camp. A bunch. How was that? It was. A, it was a lot of talking. I don't know what to tell you, man. We just we just talked. We just talked nonstop. We talked. We talked when we were awake. <laughs> talking to sleep. We talked while we were eating. We talked while we were sleeping. It was nonstop talk. Sounds like a lot. That's, that's how I got so good at. That's it. how you got. But it built talking you. Talking camp every summer for three weeks. And now, now you're putting it to work. Oh, yeah. Talking camp. I feel like Craig. Before you got here, Wes was like, "I was like, oh, I just felt like I kept going on and on." And he was like. Yeah, Wes just said something like, "Yeah, I feel like you're you're good enough to fill any dead space we have." <laughs> you can, yeah, it was like, no, "Yes." If our I if am. our guests aren't talking, you can you can yeah, like, you could, if if someone's like I can. trying to like trying but to find I? the swing to the next you know topic or whatever, you like <clears throat> provide that bridge. Well, uh, speaking of providing that bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Welcome, everybody, to Second Bananas, the podcast about history's greatest Garfunkels, the clout behind the clout that you didn't know about. Uh, we have here today me, Joe. Me, Wes. And me, Craig. And uh, we're going to talk to you about a second banana uh, called Dillinger 4. Dillinger 4. Dillinger I've heard 4. of them. I'm familiar. You have heard of them, probably because I've talked about them. And we did you it. have, yes. We did a pandemisode. Uh, on this band they're a band they're a punk rock band as it were um uh and uh they're they're uh from minnesota um and minnesota. yeah we did a pandemisode on one of their songs uh double whiskey coke noise yeah and um and so i i did that and then i was like this would make a great full episode so we're doing that episode awesome um yeah uh dillinger four uh for just beer swilling blue collar ish blue collar ish and we'll get into that uh bartending dudes from minneapolis minnesota it's they're a four-person like punk band and uh, like it's called pop punk and we'll kind of get into that's not what you might expect from this band uh if you're not familiar with like diy punk stuff if i say pop punk you're probably thinking like blink 182 Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yep 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 but this and, would be before that style, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit before and also um, very, yeah, not what, yeah, of a mm-hmm. specific time, which we'll kind of get into too. But yeah, there, there's four guys in the band. Uh, Eric Funk, who plays guitar and vocals. Patrick Patty Costello, who's bass and vocals. Uh, Billy Morissette, guitar and vocals. And then Lane Peterson on drums. And this band has been around since like 94 and they've been the same four dudes the whole time. And we'll kind of get into why as well. So that's, I think for the most part, I think they had a, they did have one guitarist um, play with them a bit when they really first started, like back in 94. And then he left and was replaced by uh, Bill Morrison, Bill Morrison. So yeah. Are they still together? Yes. Oh. Uh, kind of. Well, that's also a big okay. part of the episode. I okay. keep teasing all these things. It's just I not love, a it. Tease. love it. It's tantalizing. I love it. Yep. I love it. 
Um, I'm here yeah, for that. I, I love these guys. They're probably one of my favorite bands. And uh, so I, I kind of picked Green Day as their first banana for a number of reasons. I think like in a lot of ways, they are sort of like the perfect foil to Green Day in a sense. Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, but Green Day, uh, I think everybody here knows Green Day, right? Yeah, I'm familiar with the Green Day. Uh, yeah. They're a three-piece punk band. Um, they are from like Los Angeles or something. Um, and yeah, Los Angeles? Or somewhere in California, I think. Okay. I don't remember. That's yeah, probably, no, I'm I... probably mixing them up with the Red Hot Chili Peppers right now. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to spend a lot of time on Green Day because uh, it, I think like really like I think like when I say Green Day, like enough of our, even our listeners know who I'm talking about. Like sure. they're like, they're like pretty, sure, like, sure, they're sure. like celebrities yeah. Duke from is, East uh, Bay, California. Basket case. As, as pop punk acts go, they're pretty yeah. much as big as it gets. I'd say right? the pinnacle of pop punk. Yeah. And well, I was definitely, I would disagree, but I have oh, okay. a different okay. because I have a different definition of the pinnacle. I would say like, if you say pop punk, people either think of Green Day or yeah. uh, Blink-182, right. right? Like when you say that genre, right? Yeah. Who, who's, more, who's more popular um, across like popular music, pop music, Blink-182 or Green Day? Yeah, I would say Green Day because just because like kind of like they're still going. I think it, de- it also depends. I think to, I think like, and, that's like- And a time of your life thing. also. <laughs> yeah, I think like all, that's a good right. point. Like <laughs> a lot of people younger than us I talk to are like, no, Blink-182, man, like- that's their sort of like adolescent pop punk thing because that was after it's Green true day. Like, Green like, Day struck a chord with boomers too, like with their comeback. Like I remember like kind of backfilled and they're like a they're like a rock band now too. I think they yeah. like that's the difference is like Blink One Eight Eighty Two ended up breaking up and not really doing like which is the punkest thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Breaking up is the punkest thing to do. And we will get into that. They went, they went out the punk way instead of the pop way, which is green day to turn into a stadium rock band. Yeah, that's, I think that's true. Or at least like change. They got assimilated into the machine. If you're doing pop punk, it doesn't matter. Like you, you just like, if you're in like, if you're doing pop punk and you're just like, Oh yeah, I just want to make a pop punk band and like play small shows and stuff like that. Like you can just do pop punk forever. But like, if you are a pop punk band that's like doing it as like a career thing, and you want to stay relevant, like eventually you're gonna have to do something else, or like yeah, or form another band. Yeah, right. yeah. I was definitely really into Green Day during yeah. their earlier albums, mm-hmm. and right. then was like, it was this, it was this really weird situation where coming into high school, I was like one of a handful of people with a like ratty you know three or four year old or whatever a couple year old green day t-shirt right yeah oh um, you had the and would like whatever would be able to like bond with like the the cool like rock dudes or like the whoever who are like yeah man mm-hmm. heard that band is pretty cool aggressive stuff i like it or whatever yeah, whatever yeah. it is um and then having them play that song at my graduation right um, who and they got like elected as like the graduation song. It's after the same, same. And yeah. so the same jocks who were like arguably like bullying me in grade 10 for wearing the stupid like dookie shirt or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't even think it was a dookie shirt, but in any case, <laughs> we're, we're dancing with their like prom queen girlfriends to Green Day yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the yeah, same, absolutely. I at the same that graduation too. that I was graduating right. at. And I was like, this yeah. is weird well i remember because i think that was like 
by the time I was in like high school, that song was like, it was, it was, it had already been like canonized that way. Like it just right. played yeah. at everything. Yeah, like I think they yeah, used it exactly. a Remembrance Day ceremony at one point. Probably. Which is like, oh, they use it in the finale oh. of Seinfeld. So it's like it's etched. In, yeah. Oh my it's God, like, I forgot about that. Yeah. See, that's it is peak. Like, it's one of those songs that is genuinely like a good song, but it's been so overplayed that it's hard right. not to like think of it as yeah. almost like a joke, right? Totally. Because, not because totally. the song is bad, but no, like even and- like hokey. It's or just, even misplaced so... in like a punk band right. or even pop punk bands like repertoire it's just yeah, totally. it's just an acoustic ballad which is fine mm-hmm. well it's interesting because like but it's just huge it's just a huge track it's like it is yeah yeah and it it's interesting because that's going to kind of get into some things like we talked about further but like there's there's bands that just have that track they did like they didn't do right. what they did and like and got like four or five like they were they're like 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 i think chumbawamba is like the ultimate example where they're like they don't even give a fuck because they're like anarchists and they just like do it all DIY or whatever. But like, they also like, they had that one hit and it like, and now that's what everyone thinks of with Chumbawamba. Right. Absolutely. And now I think the new green day stuff, like all of their stuff, post American idiot is really the stuff that people are like, yeah, green day, man, that's a classic. Like that is the, the classic as opposed to like, Dookie or even like yeah like right. time of your life like time of your life is not what people now remember them for. Right. right yeah yes yeah. you know especially uh, like younger people and like yeah, like, sure, yeah my parents too like, whereas for me that was when i stopped or like i stopped paying attention before that but that's mm-hmm. when i was really like okay they're All like right, yeah yeah well, i got it <laughs> I'm, I'm good now completely good yeah okay. i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i don't think yeah. i followed much of their stuff like i know i don't even know how many albums they had after american idiot they had oh after american idiot yeah they had like four or five i think four or five wow okay the wikipedia says they have 13 full-length albums um i think some of those are like greatest hits and shit like that um but they have like 13 they have at least like at least 10 of those are like full albums with like written like new material so okay but they've been going since 1987 um yeah. so yeah That's i think a long time green day go away we're done talking about <laughs> we're not done talking about the world. we're gonna we're gonna switch back to the band we're supposed to be talking about which is none other than dillinger four um, totally. dillinger and, four. And so to tie it in with my exposure to punk music because i used to definitely be very into punk music right um and dillinger four were not really on my radar admittedly um in like the early 90s or whatever i was definitely a very big like west coast skate punk kid um i liked a lot of like local like canadian shit like the propaganda snfu mm-hmm. and like some of the west coast bands well that's Canada kind of too. the thing craig um actually and you kind of led me into my thing which is uh, dillinger ford didn't even start playing together until 1994 interesting yeah so, yeah so i w- i would have kind of moved on to yeah yeah other things by the mm-hmm. time they would have come on my radar well, this is kind of, so this is the thing like i think like when we're talking about these bands um there's like sort of like this other layer of punk that's very specific and it's like its own scene still and it's all it's all over i, I like that's kind of the weird thing is it's not like specific to a, a, a spot there's diy punk scenes like in most major cities like Vancouver has one like, and I mean like 
And when I say that, I don't mean like a bunch of bands that are all like on indie labels and like that kind of stuff. It's like literally a lot of these bands that like have like a real following now. And I think this is more of a new development since the, the, the nineties, like the nineties are where it really started. Like it happened in the, it started in the eighties, but like, yeah, there's like a little scene in every town and they usually do shows in like basements or like sometimes gymnasiums cause they're or like churches cause they're often cheap or free to rent. Free um, acoustics too. And, and those, and, those yeah. scenes are amazing. <laughs> they are. They're really cool. I think like, that's the thing that we're going to talk about Dillinger for too, is like, how much they are really a part of the Minneapolis scene. And yeah. that's a big part of why they're not necessarily more well-known and especially not even known as like a big, like, but at the same time, they're a huge influence on so many DIY bands. And ultimately that has led them to be a huge influence on like other mainstream bands. Like I think the hold steady references them a bunch. Like they've always kind of been a band's band. And, yeah. um, and I think that's a really important part of it is like, yeah, they have their fans, don't get me wrong, that aren't in bands, but, like, tons of punk bands, like, reference them. Right. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, um, so you guys don't really know this band at all. Have you, like, had a chance to, like, listen to them or just, you know, Yeah, I did, yeah. And, yeah, I'm interested because, like, I know also, like, this is, like, my flavor of music. But yeah. it's not everyone's flavor of music. And I think, like, especially, like, listening to some of their early stuff is, like, it's if you're not kind of like already listening to that kind of like lo-fi shitty deliberately shitty production it can just be like whoa so yeah i don't know but i don't know if you guys felt that or not i i didn't listen to all their stuff i listened to some of like the tracks i think you listed and i remember Mm -hmm. listening to um some of them uh when we did the pandemic episode and just now when you're you were we were talking before the podcast and they do have some some really good stuff it is like uh it's like i don't know if i want to say aggressive but it it's is, like it's like it's like, it's like a very like it's the production itself is deliberately like gar- garbled and like especially on their older right. albums yes okay so that's like, like exactly it especially their early albums like they don't mix the vocals very high um that's part okay. of the charm of their sound is it's kind of it's supposed to sound like four drunk assholes singing like <laughs> okay. that's what it is it's like that's I... what they want I wasn't even sure. And then I think, I think it was um, when we were going to record last week, I was watching a video and it was, I'm pretty sure uh, Eric, uh, Eric Funk, I think was giving an interview about like the, how like the band came together and like started coalescing. And he was saying like him and uh, Patty, I think, yeah, yeah, we started playing with these two other guys kind of like opening and doing shows and but they wanted to do like a non i don't know if this was when they were like trying to like not do a hardcore band but yeah that's basically kind of what it was okay um, so he said that like they would just get on stage and like we would just like say words that sounded like lyrics but it was gibberish man we yeah, were just yeah. <laughs> we were just saying shit that sounded like words that's and i was like that's, fuck that's yeah that's an amazing like mindset to have is like, we're just going to get out there and play. Bands. Like, honestly, like, like, yeah. even like by the time they're recording the very like low, the, the first EPs, like that's after you've already played in five or six bands and you're, you're forming a new band. And like, honestly, you don't still don't really know how to play. Like, because like you only, you only had to play like with these four guys the whole time. And like, I think they like, they're like, none of them would be like, yeah, man, we're like amazing, but they're very, they're all good now. 
But, but like, a, yeah, because like the punk thing is when you start, it's not about being good. It's just about doing it, right? Right. It's and like so that's this, the whole ethos of this scene. Yeah. And that was a cool thing. It was like, they just had the drive. I think they were saying like, they're he was playing a bass that like didn't have like only had two strings and he like only used one finger could, like, or something <laughs> or like or move, yeah so he was like sliding up and down yeah the bass yeah. the whole time so and, like, like, they, they yeah. don't have lyrics they don't know how to play their instruments but I they think like that is a they're out there and they're like doing it but i, mean, I think it's kind big, of what it was like, coming through but yeah. <laughs> i didn't i didn't uh i didn't particularly like i wasn't drawn to like the sound or anything but i love that that in those early like kind of the bands coming together is like we're we're gonna be a band and we're like yeah we're forming it and we might not have it all together now we're but we're band, like man. we're, we're figuring band. it out like, as we go and we're gonna get better and yeah and so i think that's like, awesome what kind? i don't know let's just make a band and then we'll figure it out and it's yeah. like these are the guys that actually did figure it out and make a band yeah, so I want to actually like so, go back and like it would be fun to listen to their catalog and kind of like hear that progression. Uh, yeah, going from sure. like that state to to maybe some of their newer stuff. Well, so, I think too, I think, like they are also like they. I think what sucked me in when I was like first listening to them as like a high school student was like I love their song titles because their song titles are so just like. I think what are what formed part of my sense of humor. Like I I listed oh, yeah. some of my favorite song titles here. Like uh, define learning disorder. Uh, shut your little trap incorporated minimum wage is a gateway drug and my one of my absolute favorites they had two songs there's honey i shit the hot tub and there's a floater left with pleasure in the executive washroom and they're just I, they're two poop jokes that are These like are... they just mean they're very wow. funny very smart poop jokes and those are like, some excellent song names what I love, man. their album names had some pretty interesting album names too which i i didn't fully understand i think which one uh, what was their debut album it had like a semicolon so in it western songs of the americas and it's like yeah. a, a riff on like world music albums where it's like it's like okay. northern songs of the the iberian peninsula oh, okay. and stuff yeah. like that it's like it's like sort of like of. making a little bit making fun of the concept of like the world music genre as kind of a genre that's like for like white people who want to experience experience other oh, cultures okay. but not really um, but also like kind of also like being like, yeah, man, this is this is okay. what this is what the song of the Midwest is. <laughs> right? I, like, it's like I think, yeah. I was thinking of their EP, which was higher aspirations, tempered and dismantled. Oh yeah, definitely. That's that's what they're they definitely have a bit of a pretentious side sometimes, but yeah. It's uh, yeah. I think I don't know. I think those are just a lot of those early punk albums and like EPs, especially so punks punk Dillinger Ford does this thing that a lot of DIY punk bands do like a, a split record. You guys know what I'm talking about? Does, does that like collaborate uh, with another band and yeah, each so do a half. Do, to keep costs down? Uh, they'll do a short record, especially like for it's great for vinyl because it's uh -huh. like you can have one band on one side and one band on the other side. So you, and you buy it for the price. It's like you get two bands for the price of one. Um, and it's almost like a mini like, compilation. Yeah. And they, and right. it's like, it's a nice way to also like help your, like, like give, give each other like a boost. Like, oh yeah, you'll get your, you'll get my audience and I'll get your audience. Right. Um, so it's, it's like, well, it's, it's like, it's interesting because it's like, it's kind of like what features are in rap. Like it's a <laughs> similar, it's a similar, it's a completely different method of execution, but it's sort of doing similar the same principle. thing, which is like, yeah. A making it cheaper and and less and more economical just because like 
that's how you keep going. But also, it's also like a, a more community feel. Yeah. It, right. It's that. It's that sort of like, and it's in and it's sort of like it. It makes it just feel a little more like a community that also it's it's also that like bit of like oh cool like I found one underground band now I know another. This is so right. Cool, right. It feels like a fun little fun. I I've always wondered what the like sausage making is behind the featureings. Right. On yeah. My definitely. favorite on my favorite albums, those tracks where my other favorite artist is suddenly collaborating with my first favorite artist, and I'm like, yeah. how did this happen? Yeah. How did these people even know each other? What what happened? Were they on a cool festival tour together? And they're like, hey, you got game. And she's like, no, you got game. We should make some music together. Do I feature you or do you feature me? Why don't we just do, we both feature each other? Yeah. That's what I always imagine it happens. It's like, yeah, they meet like the feature swap on tour or something. And they both like, because if one's opening for the other or something, then like they make each other's style. So yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't have these conversations sober, right? It has to wait until like the (laughs) It's in the middle of the orgy. It's like passing the oil. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god! Oh, okay, actually, you know, I can. I love like the way you're do... fucking my wife right now. I love the way you're fucking my wife, man. I love it right now. This is amazing. Yo, you should feature on my track, bro. Dude, we should do a split EP. I've been saying, like, it's the same shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that actually reminds me of an anecdote I heard, which gives a peek behind the curtain, Craig. But it's like it's Kanye, so it's like take it as you will. It's like so he released Donda, which like came out not too long ago it's his new album and he he's got a bunch of features on because it's like it's kanye and uh eric or andre 3000's on one of them and he like kanye pitched to him it's like we're gonna like talk about our moms like basically and andre's like that's cool like both our moms are dead like kind of doing it back and (laughs) forth and like this will be like a tribute to like our our dead moms and andre's like sure like get on board he does the track and then kanye completely remixes it into like a drake diss track (laughs) without telling andre (laughs) oh my god it's just like you can't release this man and just drake diss track (laughs) yeah so it's not a delightful turn yeah because i had heard that they'd like they hadn't released a track or like that there was another where it was like it advertised one person on the feature and then it switched. Was that that one or was it? I think there, it was probably multiple things yeah. like, but yeah, yeah, that was, that was probably the main one that at least I was hearing about, but I think yeah. like that's something I'm going to get at with Dillinger for as well is like the drama behind the records is almost as fun as the records themselves. Nice. Of, like like getting them made. Yeah. And even <laughs> like, sometimes it's like full on like Kanye style drama. That's just like, what? Like, you know, or sometimes it's just like, um, you know, a fun little story to talk yeah. to read and talk about later. And like, yeah. so I saw one of the clips, <sighs> one of the clips that rolled onto on YouTube from uh, an interview with the one guy from Dillinger four was them playing live somewhere. And the same dude, the singer um, and guitarist or like lead vocalist and guitarist was talking about how they were deciding which record label to join or whatever. Yeah. And one of his bandmates or whatever was like, we should, you know, we should consider getting on hopeless records. And he's like, is that the record label that their logo is like letters floating in the spoon in soup? 
<laughs> and, and he's like telling the story to the audience and he's like, yes, I'm very, <laughs> like, I'm very, I have very high standards or something like that. Or I'm very, I'm, I was being very snobby, I think was what he said. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but then he's like, and then we learned blah, blah, blah about how like ethical and all the stuff the mm-hmm. label was. And it was a big moment, like a nice, everyone was happy that the record label yeah. was good. Well, I think Moment. it was interesting because like, um, but at the same time, like Hopeless Records is like, they eventually like released those. I'm pretty sure it was either them. I think I get Hopeless Records and Fueled by Ramen, but uh, <laughs> mixed up. So I might be getting them mixed up, but I'm pretty sure they did the Pop Goes like Pop, pop compilations. No, that's Fearless Records. Sorry. Okay. Never mind. That's where I got it mixed up. Um, no, hopeless records is like a, like a, an I remember them being and, pretty sweet, um, in like the mid nineties. Well, they and kind then, of started as, yeah, I think like they kind of, they've gone definitely like, like their big ones are all like, like they've released like, like early stuff from like newfound glory and some 41 and bands that have like gone on to do so much more too. Like, yeah. um, not like blink 182 level, but definitely. And then they also have like actual form like they have like avenge seven avenge seven fold was i think their first one that sort of like busted out um, okay interesting maybe i'm confusing it with another one i feel like i had a compilation from hopeless records hopelessly but... devoted to you probably did um because they're good like again i think what they really like showed was they were like one of the labels that showed that you could you like at that point it was still this thing of like well you have to be like a pop punk label or like a hardcore label or like a noise rock label like you you have to pick one because that's the only way you can actually or you had to be like just in at the right time but hopeless was kind of like this label that was like wait they have like a ska band and like a screamo band like what Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. you get the compilations and be like you would hate three tracks and you would love eight tracks (laughs) whereas like a lot of the other punk labels it was like either you loved all the tracks or you hated all the tracks so that's my experience with them yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like, I think they, they have, and they've sort of been that label that's been there to, to, to blow up a lot of bands. I think like, I know like Thrice was on there. Um, you know, like just a bunch, like I, I see now they have like, like, again, like I said, like some 41 and newfound glory were on there very early on, but they have bands that even now I'm recognizing this, like kind of blowing up in like the emo scene, like tiny moving parts, which are like already a huge name. Like they had Thrice on it. So there's a lot of bands that um, that I think like they did that were like again not to my taste but that I just recognize and know from like being in these scenes that then blew up. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, because like he, we talked about this in the pandemic. So didn't Dil or Billy Joe play in a band that kind of intermingled with Dillinger Four? Well, that's yeah, that's definitely something we'll get into. So um, they did us. Dillinger Four has done a split with Pinhead Gunpowder. And again, like this just feels like, I don't know. It's interesting. It'd be interesting to hear how inside baseball this is to you guys. Like, does this shit go on in like the music things that you're a part of or no, or is it like reflected in certain ways? I guess like, I just like, they, they, they Billy Joe had like a, a record label and he played on a couple of bands. Like, I think he still does the network from time to time. It's like one of his side projects. That's more like new wave or whatever. Oh, but then like, he also did this other band called pinhead gunpowder that was a much more like it was basically kind of a stiff little fingers knockoff. If you guys know who stiff little fingers is. So yeah, fingers don't. is like a band that was like contemporaries with the clash, but weren't right. quite, like, they're a lot bigger in the UK as well. Like bands like a uh, new model army. 
that weren't really like full punk or like they're they're now not really considered punk punk but they like they're called proto-punk but at the time they were what were punk bands like when right. the clash was out and stuff like nobody like green day would have been like miles away and like you know now you listen to a lot of the original punk stuff and it even is like oh that's what that was like that's just like kind of like what block party does kind of but messier or whatever whereas like mm-hmm. now i think like punk becomes much more aggressive in a lot of ways or just becomes like pop punk and stuff like that yeah well right. i think there's an increasing tendency to like take it further yeah and then and then you take it too far and suddenly you're a metal band yeah. and then you're like okay let's dial it back a little bit and then you're like oh well now you're just a rock a normal rock band yeah, and then it's and like okay well let's space it up a little bit <laughs> that, and this there is are bands the, that yeah. don't really necessarily like there are bands that don't fit those categories exactly of course either. of and course like, of course I, yeah i just um i think and i think you're right that's true like across the industry now especially like it is like sub genres a lot more because like we've built up to a level where people are looking for something more specific or niche or whatever. Right. And I do feel that's true. Like in, in the whole music, like all of music trends, including like the mainstream industry in certain ways, right. it's not entirely true, but like even pop music now they're like, Oh, like Taylor Swift released an indie album or whatever. Right. Well, that's interesting thing. Cause I feel like, yeah, like so much of like what makes it's, it is almost like its own, genre of music like yeah the the diy punk scene so it's like i if they if a band does eventually like get the status of green day and get like the fanship of green day it's like do they automatically kind of like lose that so that's what that's that essence of what they are that's the big thing about green day versus dillinger four is green day were like the archetype of the sellout punk band for a long Mm -hmm. time like you it was like nobody in the diy scene even people like listen to them and we're like yeah they're, they're sellouts but i still like their old stuff or whatever but it was like it was like this weird vitriol um that that like a lot of people mm-hmm. and i think like i don't know i think like also like, i don't want to like, even when i think of st- yeah when i think of the concept sorry of someone like calling a band a sellout it's like yeah it's some dude that's well, mad at his diy punk band for like you know so here's the thing abandoning a scene yeah maybe it's think like, of wayne's world yeah it's like i think like on one hand um green day like they just they they saw a bag and they took it i think and like i can't blame them but on the other hand it's like but you did kind of make that bag you know the only reason you got you you were able to get that bag is because you were supported by this diy scene where people put their free time and their love and and like and like essentially their labor which is money essentially into like this thing and like they did it in the sense of like building a community mm-hmm. and you kind of then went and blew it up and also one of the the like sort of unfortunate side effects of that is you brought a lot of douchebags into the community mm-hmm. like into this space that was once a lot more like because uh. especially the punk scene that billy joe and green day came from was like it had just been a long fight to kick racists and and skinheads and and actual pieces of shit and like like there was like in the 90s before green day blew up like there was a trend in punk to like actually become sort of like politically motivated even if it was sort of like along like the the lines of like it was like it was there was a a a like socialist communist anarchist whatever component to it Uh it was sublimated in the 90s but it was still about like there was a lot of like like before it happened in popular culture, like people being like, 
no, feminism is good. Like there were feminist punk bands like Bikini Kill that were a part of the scene and they faced like issues, but there was like a concerted effort by that point in the nineties that it was sort of like the consensus among these, D- a lot of these DIY punk scenes of like, we're not going to tolerate this shit among our members because it's been too much. Like, like earlier generations have used this as an excuse for like to allow sexual assault and to allow this stuff. And like, of course, like there were people and they, there was like a, 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 a battle. It was like, it was like the same way that the culture wars are now. It was like, it did rip people apart and it was like quite bitter, but they oh, actually, for sure. it's, it's somewhat succeeded. I don't want to say it entirely succeeded, but there were areas where it succeeded and the place that Green Day came from was one of the biggest com- proponents of that. And then suddenly within a few years, they're inundated with the fucking dude bros from the suburbs and yeah. the, and the frat boy douchebags who are all like, yeah, man, <laughs> basically yeah. And like, kind of like talk- MAGA junior. <laughs> yeah. And people that were like ostensibly punk too. Like, I think that was the hard part was it was like, like Craig, like you said, like all of a sudden in high school, like the people who were like using gay slurs and like, throwing exactly suddenly they were into punk music and i was like what and it was like and and what that meant was it was okay for punk musicians to say slurs or some shit right like there was like that kind of like it kind of it it tainted the scene again um because it's hard to eject those elements from any sort of like like subculture because it's still part of the broader culture right so it's like and because the broader culture is that way is like chauvinistic sexist etc it penetrates that culture so i think like that was actually that's an important part again to what happened with dillinger for like hardcore what you were talking about with like how eric before was like oh these bands like we were in a hardcore band like that has a specific meaning um which came out from hardcore punk so you're thinking like black flag minor threat that kind of stuff and by the by the like late 80s early 90s hardcore had gotten had become like this genre full of like a couple of bands that made it big, like black flag. And then eventually like these other bands, like negative approach youth of today, um, crow mags that had brought in a lot of like people who were not only like they were into punk and they were into the aggression, but they were very like, they were like rah, rah, America's good. Like I love Ronald Reagan shit like that. And like, there were full on skinheads as well. Um, so so um which is obviously a, at odds with the, yeah. the ethos of a diy punk like very much leftist you know movement or scene or whatever which yeah. is what was exemplified in a lot of the examples and particularly where green day came from but also where dillinger four came from yeah big time. and a lot of the scenes like the scene in the town that i grew up in was definitely like heavily infused with like leftist messaging and like the zines and stuff we're talking about animal testing and like yeah. uh home homeless uh re- homelessness relief and mm-hmm. food not bombs this was one and of the places this feminism stuff, and all this yeah. shit right it so. was like this was one of the places this stuff actually survived and, per- and not just that space like obviously it wasn't even the main space that was happening but there were like smaller spaces that a lot of those people who had been actually a little more welcomed before the 80s and especially in the, that had blossomed sort of out of the sixties, like that stuff didn't actually vanish. Like there were people holding on to it and still doing it in these little underground scenes and these little enclaves that were like still taking it seriously. I think that's like, that's something that I think weirdly Dillinger four is kind of post 
that in a way, even though right. they are actually like, they're all guys that I think are in their, their fifties, like fifties and sixties. Now they came out of these like early, like late eighties, early nineties punk scenes that were like, had this mentality of like, we are like holding this stuff and we're trying to spread it out to the bigger world, but like people don't accept it, but we need to, there was a sense of like keeping it alive despite and not, it not being popular. And especially not letting it be bastardized by some passing fad band that comes from the scene or comes through the scene drags a bunch of douches into the scene and like shitties it all up and yeah, makes totally. it makes it all fashy <laughs> and then and then <laughs> and then the, i think she's a lot up is the best like that's where he's like it all and then, shitty the scene up like and then the band blows up and everything kind of like moves on and hopefully that scene can still be like okay this is what was actually this is actually all about before yeah. and like we don't need to worry about the polo shirts like they're gone we can still right. do our like food drive or our food not bombs and like this and that or whatever exactly i think that's a really good point craig and like not only that but like um so there was this sort of reaction to that coming in and again trying to push it out that was sort of that came post that when like you know this was sort of like so green day hit and then kind of made a splash but then like you know it was more of this alternative rock stuff for the early 90s and that's when dillinger four was doing their sort of like their first thing which again like Eric kind of talks about it and Patty talks about it in the interviews. Like they were just like, they had a couple EPs and they were just touring basically. Like, and that was what you did at the time. Like it wasn't really important if you wanted to be like a major part of this DIY scene. Um, because it wasn't something you could just like do once in a while. Like it was like a group of people and like, there is like a mini structure within it where like bands do get popular and they can play the bigger shows and stuff like that. Like, there is a commercial aspect to it. I think is like really important to note. It's not like 100% freewheeling all the time. Like it lives within a sort of mm -hmm. weird capitalist structure in a way. Out of necessity. So, so they would just like tour with their couple of EPs that were like printed by like a tiny little label, you know, like that would put them out. Like there were even more indie labels and um and and they got really popular mostly through like word of mouth of their live show basically which was kind of a mix of them actually being good and kind of a mix of them being a shit show that would like get drunk and like uh -huh. patty would like lecture about the minimum wage to to the <laughs> crowd and then get the wasted drug, and, like, stick a drumstick up his ass like that kind of stuff like there's literally like there's right. like a this in dillinger four we trust article um like they're talking about the band's antics and all the legends that surround him and it's like oh there's a rumor that bill morris at once blew patty costello live on stage and billy goes that's bullshit i just gave it a lick <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's the kind of like i think that's a big draw like yeah i think that story like i've got a bunch of quotes and stories that i think just like best describe the band because they are like an experience in a way I but think that got, was like a huge draw is like, it was just like, you go to those shows and like, yeah, you're not, you're not necessarily in a huge stadium. You're not like a more intimate venue. The band's like drinking on stage and they're doing like fucked up shit that you don't necessarily well, get from another band in a live show. That's part of it too, is like, not only that, but like the strength of your live show is actually more important in the DIY punk scene in a lot of ways than like, you can be mm -hmm. a band that is just known for being good live. Mm -hmm. in a way that you just can't for pop music or whatever right if you want to make right. stadiums and 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 yeah. part of that is being 
a good show live in a smaller venue where you're like kind of on par with the crowd. And sometimes there is no stage and you're just there's playing no like there's literally a line of tape on the floor. I'm serious. Dude. <laughs> Audience members are punching you in the ribs as you yes. try to play your set. Literally, That's happened. Like this is the kind of, it's literally like I've seen shows where like, well, that was a big thing that minor threat complained about in the eighties was like, we, we, we don't want to play like venues that don't have a stage anymore because yes, I don't mind people like jumping around and dancing and being like a part of the crowd. Like that's good. But like, there's nothing more annoying than when a guy like smashes into our guitar player and we have to spend 15 minutes getting set back up so we can finish the gig. Like that was the kind of like, that was the kind of chud that was coming to their shows and ruining Mm. them. They got to get one of those chicken wire like cages that they got at Roadhouse so that they can. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, like Dillinger four are those assholes in a certain way. Like that's also part of their charm is like, they don't, they, that's part of it for them in a certain way. And it's not, it's not that they go and they're like, they, they specifically are like exactly like what we talked about. Like they, they, they're not like, if someone said a slur in their show, they'd be like, shut the fuck up and get up. Like that's the kind of band they are, but they are like big assholes who get drunk and like, don't watch their space and like, like fart in people's faces and like do dumb <laughs> shit when they're drunk. Like, I don't know how fart in people's faces. And, like, I think like there's definitely some problematic aspects to this band that like, have, sure. like, it, like like they've learned over time but it just like they are not like they're not they they sort of straddle that line between like douchey jocks and like pc warriors because like they're very it's it's fun though like they want you yeah. to get drunk with them they, they they're like a big drunken bear hub that's what that's, they are. that's totally a guy that exists because of the 90s yes 100 punk and like that type of music um having to go through the 90s created exactly these guys mm-hmm. in my yeah. opinion like and they're like, not they're not exactly comfortable in like this the spiky well it's mohawk like greasy from from um from, yeah uh, south park but actually like <laughs> but, real like they're but, not just but like music a, music is their sports yeah exactly <laughs> that's a, that's great music is their sports <laughs> Or maybe just like their idea of punk yeah, is, totally. their, is their sports. Yeah. Right. And beer drinking, and which is, beer. which well, is yeah. also, yeah. which is also, you know, they, they were once referred, <laughs> they referred to like some of the arguments they get into as like fat drunk Midwestern guy arguments. Like they have those kind of arguments sometimes about like, like when they were in Japan, cause they did tour in Japan very briefly. Um, oh, nice. And uh, well, they actually, I think they've done it a few, anyway, not important. Um, but they were like, so Japan is so expensive that at the time, 10 bucks was the going rate for a t-shirt in like the US. Like this is how long ago this was. This would have been like early 2000s, like when you could still buy $10 t-shirts at punk shows. Um, and they were like, well, in Japan, when it was 10 normally here, like it's 15 there. That's just what they charge, like equivalent in like yen or whatever. And they had a big long conversation of like, are we helping or hurting if we charge 10? Like we can charge 10 because we don't, we're not trying to make money. Like that's a big part of their ethos is they're not trying to make money. They're just trying to have a good time. And they were like, we don't want to be that band that, that charges 10 and then, and then fucks all the other bands that are charging 15. Cause they uh, are the right. ones that like our friends are in bands that actually need to do this to live. And we don't want to fuck them. And we want to, we want to be in solidarity with like, you know, the, the, the rate of rate of labor exchange that has been decided yeah. upon by these organized workers. 
but like we also are like we don't want to charge 15 bucks for shirts because we want poor people to be able to more likely to be able to afford them like it was it was it's like that's the kind of arguments they have and you're right, right. it's like it's like that's like the smush of like kind of what came out of the 60s like smushing against the the reaction to it in the 80s and 90s and all that stuff and like what i like is like and i think i sort of like self-identify with in this band is like i'm kind of one of those guys yeah in yeah. a lot of ways right? a little bit brash like a little bit you know can be on the heavy-handed side definitely one of but, those has, but like your heart is in the right place and you are self-aware enough to know yes. that like what's going on around you in terms of other people and what they're and also I like, <laughs> how I they're like interacting with the and yelling at the crowd i like it's fun <laughs> for me it's just like i have a good time i'm i have fun when i'm rowdy and i don't want people who don't like rowdy people to hang out with me if they don't find me fun when i'm rowdy. <laughs> yeah like and i'm not saying that in a like fuck you way i'm just saying like sometimes i'm gonna want to get drunk and rowdy and not in a mean way but in like a goofy way and i am gonna like take my shirt off and like like act like kind of a fool and maybe embarrass people that know me a little, but like <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like, I'm, I'm not, I'm when I'm getting drunk, I'm not like, you know, like being a piece of racist shit or anything like that. I'm just like being an asshole, which I think like, <laughs> there is, there should be a regular asshole, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, think that that's, that's like the kind of the free speech debate like yeah. phil philosophical debate kind of in a more i want to say like street level analogy of just like yeah, you're right. right you're right to express yourself in like a albeit like maybe misguided or foolish way <laughs> and where it like infringes on someone else but like you being naked half naked making a fool of yourself kind of doesn't infringe on anyone because just yeah. look away and like roll your eyes if you must or whatever like, it's, it's going to be over in a few minutes i think the, the problem where it really comes in is i'm aware that not everybody who isn't like me gets that privilege in sure. public especially too and like that yep. i don't want a world where like i want a world where like a trans person feels comfortable enough to take off their shirt whatever is going on there and not feel like they're going to be like treated differently than me if that's what they want to do. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Or like whatever, right? Like that's the world I want where again, like, and, and it's like, it also requires a certain amount of like just understanding of social norms that aren't regulated by law that like there, totally. there are spaces where I go in, I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to have, I'm not going to get drunk tonight because this is not a crowd that will appreciate me. And I don't think that's like, like, and I don't think that's a problem. I'm like, okay, I know that like, you know, when I, I when I want to party, I want to party. And like, say, this is like a nice night. Awareness. So I'm, I know if I have three beers, I'm going to start, I'm going to have five beers. This I don't is know, taking this is, notes. This is me, yeah. become me defending myself is, <laughs> through Dillinger 4. I think my wife would appreciate it. But bit, that's same okay. kind of awareness yeah, about myself. Exactly. No, but like, you know what it is what it, and like i think like that's part of part of my journey to this place is like accepting that like there are going to be people like me and there are going to be people who aren't like me and we have to learn to coexist without turning it into like a political argument in certain ways right i don't know like not in a sense that there's no politics in that but like that like yeah like like I am who I am. yeah and, and and everyone's being who they are isn't a political thing yeah Right. It's actually like a, the baseline. That's where we start from. Yeah. I think that's, that's everybody. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Everyone gets to opt in like at that level of being like who they are and accepted and valid and every, everything about 
whatever is as legit as the next person or the last person. And then we, and then we go from there. I want everyone to be able to be as messy as I am. (laughs) <laughs> to be free to be as free to be messy as i am as human as you are yeah, yeah exactly as as I am. Who, who would ever uh, attest to be to being human being like a tidy experience exactly <laughs> that's my point oh. that's damn it craig every time you're just like i'm like i want to be drunk and loud and you're like and isn't that would be <laughs> i do think like, i feel yes, like yes, that's uh... you're right you're very right that does seem like a pretty punk message though. It's just like, I am who I am and I'm not ashamed of it. As, yeah. As long as, as long as you're not fucking anyone else up. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like applies to their music too. That's what I like about Dylan before is like, you can, you get that sense from their music. Like apparently like this is like the story that it sort of goes around. Like uh, one of the Billy says like, Oh yeah. So we sent the demos to hopeless records, this label that put them out. And they were like, these demos sound great. And we were like, uh, no, that's the record. And oh. that's like, that's like a joke. <laughs> you got any more? The, the founder of, of, of Hopeless Records, Lewis Posen was like, yeah, I don't remember that, but that might be right. And it's like, he kind of like, is like, that's like, that's kind of what I'm saying is like, these are like four big drunk Midwestern dudes. And they have a tendency to sort of like, spinning arm if you know what i'm saying like that that is true in a sense but isn't like what actually happened or like and they know that and they don't like they wouldn't like they're not trying to just be like this is the literal truth they're trying to be like funny like this is this is our vibe this is yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. totally well and that's part of it i think you know this band really for how off my radar they they were which makes sense given my like arc. They're not of, off your radar anymore. No, they certainly aren't. But given my arc of like interest and like immersion in to like hardcore and punk and what was becoming like whatever pop punk, um, kind of before my <laughs> before my very eyes, um, what always appealed to me was like the the emotionality of the music was always mm-hmm. like very, it, there's very energetic, but then there was a lot of like political and like emotional message yeah. involved in a lot of, a lot of this type of music, right. That always got me the smartness of it. And mm-hmm. like to be, to be a punk, to be, um, for me at that time to be clever enough to have like yeah. put together a worldview and been like, I oppose like, what that what then would have been for a punk like the normies or whatever yeah exactly the the mainstream like mainstream rock records like there is kind of that mix of like like this kind of vulgar marxism in a way of like oh exactly like corporate greed because Mm -hmm. like it was very like uncool to actually be an open communist or whatever Oh, absolutely. In, well, in these punk spaces. And, and you're walking were. such a fine line there mm-hmm. in a way of this like anti-authoritarian um, like ethos. And the, you know, having that same perspective on music, on your music, the scenes music relative to the mainstream and like your ideas of how society could work relative to the mainstream and like mm-hmm. all these um, kind of parallels there. But you, you, you have to have either thought it through and like come to that conclusion and been like, yeah. And that's why I wear this like provocative t-shirt or that's why I expressed myself with this stupid haircut or whatever the thing, your thing is. 
um, or this like really aggressive uh, cacophonous band <laughs> that plays in the basement that yeah. kids smash the, smash into each other and into the walls listening to or whatever. But you had to have like thought about it enough to be like, yeah, I do oppose this. I understand this enough to know that I think it doesn't make sense and that we should maybe like talk about how things could be different or whatever that to me mixed with like the attitude and like the smarts and then like the humor. Yeah. Big time. Uh, uh, that just like was the total package for me at that time. And I was just like, this is so awesome. Yeah. And, um, and I think that that idea maybe doesn't exist in punk music as we would have known it, or as we know it, um, uniquely, I think that that yeah, spirit sure. exists in a lot of things right? Yeah. That, that spirit is very much like a revolutionary spirit in a sense. That spirit is also like a creative, playful, silly, like yeah. jo joyous, like letting your kids, um, you know, do something that's like a little more, I don't know that other parents might be like, Oh, wow. Oh dear. How could they yeah. let them do that? But the kids They're are having fun and, and let, like, like, you know, just some sort of a radical, uh, release that is maybe a little bit out of the ordinary, which I'm struggling to find a good example for right now, but it's, that's, that's the total vibe. That well, is the like, idea. It doesn't need to be a punk music thing, right? Punk yeah, is an idea sure. that transcends things. That's it. That's well, it. I think that's really important mm -hmm. to the DIY punk scene is what you're saying is like the sure. music of now, what, what, what are think, thought of as punk bands now? Um, there are a lot of like punk bands that aren't really rock bands. Like there are like folk punk bands and like, not to say that they're still kind of like, like if you break it down, it's still like blues music or whatever bullshit, right? Like, of course. But like, the point is that like, the the DIY scenes are much more about a, a specific ethos um, or like a generalized one that changes shape depending on where which scene you're talking about. But they're more about that ethos of like, yeah, we're gonna make a fucking record in our basement. I'm gonna record a, a on my fucking like iPhone in my bedroom or whatever i'm gonna and back then it was like i'm gonna i'm gonna buy like a shitty tape recorder and like record myself playing like the cheap guitar that i bought and that somehow becomes like a tape that people pass around or whatever um that's like that's like really what glues all these different scenes together like there's a band like dillinger four and then i think of another band like um uh like the world infernal friendship society who actually are like a european like kind of a european folk band that just happen to mostly play punk scenes and yeah. are, their lyrics are very explicitly like progressive leftist kind of things. Like they talk about immigration, they talk about like, and they're specifically like, yes, we need to open borders. Like they, they, they are like anarchists or whatever. And they're not even necessarily like a, a punk band in the way you would think of it. Like three loud, obnoxious guys on stage. It's like eight people and they're wearing suits and they're playing like, they're playing like a, an accordion and a balalaika and shit or whatever, right? Like there's bands like that in the scene that are accepted by the same people who listen to like Dillinger 4, which is more straight ahead, sort of yeah. like pop punk, whatever. Um, but those, they're bound by these, this ethos and this, this attitude more than they are bound by a specific genre of music, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and I, I admire that. I still admire that when I see it out in the world yeah, having totally. come from and you know i'm, I'm not going to pretend like i ever lived like a punk lifestyle i was uh, a little i was a little skater kid 
uh, who lived in the suburbs who like grew up liking this music because it was like a fucking train that was passing me by on the way to becoming like a huge international music genre that was worth you know billions and billions of dollars and i was like Ooh, and i like hung on to it for a couple of years and then i was like oh too fast too big and i got off kind of thing but it it was because of you know like the local punk bands in the city that i grew up in and because of the regional like stars in like the punk world and like the Mm -hmm. things that i was exposed to in that diy scene um and then you know, graduating into other music that I was interested in or whatever, but it was because of that, that I was introduced to like radical leftist politics. Yeah, exactly. Initially. And the idea that, you know, like the fucking image of the swastika getting thrown in the garbage. Yeah. That Um, was like, I remember that sticker back in like my, my junior high days, like looking, seeing that in a catalog that I could order and being like, I yeah. can fucking order this. Well, what, and what the fuck, dude? Like, I didn't you know, know this shit existed. Well, and when I was like 13 or 14, and I'm like Nazis, and I'm like, whoa, like I had no idea. This is yeah, a, like a problem. Exactly. A problem, a problem so much that there needs to be imagery that's like describing like disposing of them. And it like was. this like, is so I, interesting. Like, wow, and this whole thing, like this is mm-hmm. something. And then I'm like, well, what would be the point of being worried about Nazis? Like what, who, who are they a threat to? And then you look into it and you're like, oh, okay. And you start to understand yeah. and you start to go to a few shows and maybe like there's, there's a fight or something, some well, dudes being a dick and, show, the, and like some a... other dudes are like, Hey man, you can't be a dick or else we're yeah. going to have to be a dick to you. And then you're like, Hmm, okay. That guy wasn't respecting things. And this scene is like correcting itself and like, yeah. things, you know, or and whatever stuff you don't see at like, you know, you go to like, a, a Foo Fighters concert again, like I, Foo Fighters are are fine. Back, I don't want to be like I hate the Foo Fighters, like, but like you will go see someone do like basically the pissing on you. Kurt Cobain's ashes, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Dave Grohl, you you should shit yourself on stage. What a sellout! Come on, uh, just Sorry, another chill for big yeah. guitar. How dare you uh, shitty, shitty up the place like that? Yeah, Dave <laughs> Grohl, shitty up the place. Dave Grohl, <laughs> Dave Grohl, shitty up the place, but he um. But like you go to a Foo Fighters concert, it's a huge arena. Like you don't know half the people. It and there's not. It's not that there's not good stuff there. But like you go outside and like someone's kicking the shit out of someone else, and it's like maybe the police show up or like arena security does something. Right? Like other people don't get involved in that way. Um, whereas like yeah, I think like there is a bit of a there is sometimes a difference in these DIY scenes, especially oh, big time because you're DIYing security as well. And yeah, you're DIYing exactly, right? like and, like curating the vibe of the show and like making everyone feel comfortable. And that's exactly you know yeah. some shithead who doesn't care where he throws his elbows or keeps on grabbing this lady's breast or whatever. Yeah, like exactly. that guy's making people uncomfortable. He's got to fucking go. I also don't want people to get the impression that we're saying like every single DIY scene does not have issues with like. Like, oh no by no means sexual harassment stuff because there are scenes that it still have that problem of course of course um but like there is at least like a lot of those scenes talk the talk and now they are walking the walk and a lot of them walk the walk too especially at the local level right or at least to a certain extent i don't want to say that again they're perfect and i'm sure like someone will be like yeah in minneapolis like we had like you know like this stuff and this stuff and Dillinger Ford didn't say anything. Yeah, that might be true. I don't know. And I'm not going to like say I'm talking specifically about Dillinger Ford, but yes. I don't know. I'm going to hold you to account for whatever yeah, you exactly. say, Joe. Tell me. I'm I'm standing Dillinger Ford 
And if they do anything bad, it's my fault. Joe <laughs> Stillwell. Yeah, Joe Stillwell. Minnesota punk scene rape enabler. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, buddy. Uh, <laughs> you bastard. That, that almost that would be like in a in a you know like the the hell nightmare dimension. That would be like a a, a Dillinger Four song title. <laughs> Um, but like featuring yeah, Joe I, Stilwell <laughs> and Swiss beat yeah. <laughs> and Hitler's granddaughter. I don't know. Uh, it's a three thousand. He thought it was a track about his mom. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dre. <laughs> um, I do think that's interesting because, like, also Dillinger Four do kind of straddle that line again. Um, they released uh, their first album, which is called Midwestern Songs of the Americas, as we talked about before, in 1998. So this would have been like right after Nimrod, like after that record came out, basically. Because Nimrod was 97, right? Mm, the record by Nimrod, I'm talking Yeah. I think it was 1997, yeah. So this was a year, like a year after Nimrod came out. Like that's where Dillinger mm. 4 exists in the timeline. Yeah. I think it's important to note. Right when Green Day's on the upswing, and yeah, Green this is re- already kind of at least like to the point where like they've secured a certain place as like known quantities, right? Like, I don't think Green Day was like big as they are now, or even like you would say they were like the same kind of on the same kind of level as like the Foo Fighters at this time, but like they were like a known quantity in like pop music, mm-hmm. totally. They were known. Uh, Dillinger 4, I, I feel like I keep, like, we keep talking about other stuff, which is great. But, like, um, yeah, I, I think, like, um, Dillinger 4 released this record, and they do have, like, a, a, like, there's nothing else you can call this music but pop punk. Like, it is very, like, like I think Eric's quote was, like, let's be catchy, but let's say political shit. Like, that's kind of, um, mm-hmm. like they're pop punk in the sense of like it's very like simple song structures. It's very like like sort of like the punk feeling of like some little like sort of licks and stuff. But they're not like guitar virtuosos either. There aren't solos most of the time, um, and it's like these big anthemic choruses. But they're like they sound like three drunk guys for sure, <laughs> right? Like that's part of their charm. So, um, but it's definitely like pop punk, and so this specific kind of pop punk was like again a tastemaker in these DIY scenes and this is sort of what established them as like a band's band in that sense. Um right. so yeah I think like again like I don't I don't know how to like did you what do you guys like what would you guys like do, I just like it's always interesting like telling people this is a this is pop punk and then having people be like oh that's like what did you guys think like when you I don't know I just like I feel like With, I'm grasping at a weird start here like their sound I mean, <laughs> like how do you describe their sound? I would be interested in hearing what you guys would describe their sounds with I think everything that I've said about it. I think just hearing it, like I and I actually like I I ask both of you a lot of the times like to break down different musical genres because I think it's interesting to see the evolution of a genre and how one decade it sounds like this and maybe the next decade it doesn't sound quite the same anymore. And so if I were right, to just yeah. listen to them. And I, I definitely am not as versed in all the different flavors of punk, but I would have said that they're like a hardcore band or like inter- that's or, or like a yeah. punk band, just based on like the the selection of songs I've heard from them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very familiar with the punk genre and the pop punk genre mm-hmm. and hardcore and 
the different branches of the tree. Um, and they're definitely pop punk. Uh, they are. Ooh, we have a split. They're, yeah. they're not, um, you know, they're not complex enough to be, um, or they're not complex enough and they're not heavy enough to be kind of on the one side of the genre and they're not like schmaltzy and like dreamy kind of floaty enough to be on the other side um but they're like kind of right down the pipe of like i don't know like your gutter mouths or even your like uh, there's just so many bands that have like that's kind of are in that arc yeah i think it's like interesting because they are like sort of like very typical of their genre in a way, but they do it in their own way. I think it's totally, which I, I think at at that time is the, that's like the hook that they needed to be who they are. Right. It's like, okay, well let's be the like pop punk band, but that is like this, like, you know, we're all kind of cuddly drunk teddy bear (laughs) dude. Yeah. And that's, then that's the band. Right. It's they're I, like there's been like names trying to describe this because it's not really a genre. Like they get lumped in with bands like Hot Water Music or um like mm-hmm. Against Me. And oh. like that's just because they played together and they like were on each other. And there is like a punk thing that unites them, but like you wouldn't listen to Against Me and be like, Oh, that sounds like Dillinger Four or like Hot Water Music and be like, Oh, that sounds like Dillinger Four. But no, like you see them together and you're like, Oh, that makes sense. Like it yeah. makes sense like that they there's they'd crossover. All hang out there's enough yeah. crossover in like yeah. the audience and everything like that, that yeah, it's in that same kind of sphere, but it's not like overtly like aggressively political or like you, you know, there's not like the crazy squealing guitars or like quite yeah. the thrashy element to it. Like it's definitely in within like punk, but it's definitely on like the pop side, the, the yeah. basically mm-hmm. the, the branch of punk that sprouted, in the 90s with bands like green day Mm -hmm. um and their popularity made it proven that this is a way this is a direction to go this is a thing this is a like go up this way if you want to be like do that kind Mm -hmm. of thing right um and so and the more bands that kind of were like inspired by that then it became more of a a, like a subgenre or whatever right and so they very much i think epitomize that in a way and i think too like yeah they 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 do epitomize it in a, in a way that like is again like they just they just exist in a space within it that's so their own and that's what's that's what's hard to like to 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 figure out too i think like and i think like also like part of the thing again like making them as sort of a second banana to green day like green day is like again when you say pop punk that's what people picture and sure. there's a clear line from green day to dillinger four like you don't you wouldn't, if you, if you like, again, like you wouldn't, if you heard these two bands, you back to back, you'd be like, oh yeah, of course they're in the same genre or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like they have mm-hmm. a lot of commonalities, but it's not, it's not something that you'd necessarily just be like, if you played two of their songs back to back, is that what I said already? Anyway, <laughs> like if you just like compare them directly, there's not really a, a simple direct comparison, but like they, it's just like, oh yeah, they're a cloud together. They, they exist yeah, in exactly. this cloud. Oh, for sure. It's like you dial Green Day back three years at the time that Dillinger 4 was releasing their second album. Yeah. And that's Dillinger 4's second album. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what right? I mean? Yeah. And then, and then as soon as Green Day turns two 
stadium rock e then you know that then that's not they're no longer comparable like they've left that realm and dillinger four just like we're gonna stay we're like freeze frame on green day's third album and yeah. you you have and build a career out of it and you have Dillinger so, four. Let me get to that too, because mm. Craig, I don't know if you remember our pen you weren't in our pandemic, but I wasn't. What we talked about was again, we've noted that Billy Joe did a split record in the year 2000 with his other band, Pinhead Gunpowder, who were sort of more in this DIY scene with Dillinger Four. Right. So his and like again, that doesn't mean mm. that they hung out a bunch. Like it's like they they kind of he was like, Well, I'm looking for bands. I want to like, I want to give bands a bump right. As part of kind of what he's doing there. And I think like, that's the other thing I don't want to get too into the weeds with green day about is like, I do feel like they have given back to that scene a fair bit. And in a way that feels like, but it can never be enough, enough. but that's not the point. Like, like, I just feel like, I do feel like as much as green day got all this shit for being sellouts or whatever, which I think largely was bullshit. Like they like kept 924 Gilman open, which was like this DIY punk venue that people can look up. Um, you know, they've, they've done all this stuff and they still do some punk stuff. Like they bring people up on stage to play American idiot with them. Like, and they actually do that. Like they're still like, they plug the people in playing guitar. Or whatever. And this is like 14 year old kids. They'll yeah. do that at concerts. And like, it's not the same when you're doing this. It becomes like it's the sort of more commercialized thing of like a contest people can win, but it's still like, like imagine what that 14 year old kid feels that like, you know, most of the bands that he likes wouldn't do that, you know, or she, or oh. whatever. like it's. Yeah. Big time. That's a cool mm. promo. Yeah. Which I think also like, um, Dillinger four has in spades. Cause like, anyway, I think what my point was, was Craig, do you know about, did, did you read the, the outline part about Dillinger Four's song and how green day might've ripped it off? I did. Yeah. But why don't you take me through it? So basically, um, Green Day's most famous song, American Idiot, um, is there's this sort of legend that the main riff to that, which is like that famous, like, which is like the sort of like crux of that song. Um, If you listen to it, it is very like eerily similar to uh the opening of dillinger four's most famous song double wick whisk whiskey coke no ice right uh-huh. um i know and that was their most famous song too it is it's by far their most like it was sort of their biggest biggest one in terms mm. of like what people reference as like a, the, the classic dillinger four song um mm. because it is important to note that they kind of like their first album was their sort of like definer it still is to this day i think like not in the sense of like they haven't done other great albums, but like so many people copied in the DIY punk scene. Like there's so many bands now that are even bigger than Dillinger Four. Like I'm talking about like the Menzingers, I think are a good example. Like the specific tape flavor of Dillinger Four's pop punk is like copied and sort of like modified and changed by so many DIY band, DIY punk bands that are now kind of making it or whatever. And not in a way of like, they'll be like Green Day, but that actually like have sort of like a career or at least like make a bit of their money doing this band thing. Right. Um, that I just like, they, they, so that's why Double Whiskey Coke and Ice is their biggest song. So yeah, right. but I'm, I'm interested because when we did the episode before Craig, 
Wes, I was like, I was expecting to kind of have this back and forth with Wes about it, but he was like, no, no, I think they ripped it off. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yes. okay. See well, so I want to know your take. I'll take on- the, yeah, I'll take the, the devil's advocacy position um because i mean everything is ripped off so fuck yeah, you joe exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what's more I mean, punk than ripping off some i don't know well, minnesota diy punk punk we'll get to and making millions off of it yeah. yeah no but i mean that's a tough one right like the um did the opening to the strokes last night and tom petty's american girl like oh i'm actually who gets panned for that one (laughs) right i don't know i don't know that one particularly because i'm not like a huge into either of those bands i know people really i like the strokes um Um, but anyways it's just like in a it's like a guitar riff that's just like repeated for like whatever eight bars or whatever for the intro and then and then the drums come in and it's yeah. but it's like in both cases and then it goes to the stroke song and then it goes to tom petty but if you're if you're listening and you didn't know it's the same fucking open it's the same well, intro so craig let me play there is actually a youtube video that plays them back to back so let me play this for you so you actually hear them back to back right now okay interesting yeah i know similar and i'm ready and i'm ready with my verdict craig has rendered a verdict please craig lay it upon us green day not guilty of ripping off (laughs) you're free to go (laughs) no i think like this is interesting because i think wes you were just kind of like trying to be funny when you i was like oh okay because i was actually ready to be like well actually i yeah because i kind of agree with you craig like i think in a certain sense like it's like okay, that's a little sus, but at the same time, it's like, I don't think Billy Joe probably remembers how many bands he's done stuff with. And it's like, the thing is like, yeah, every, like if you break down rock music, especially it's like, it's the same chord progression in 80% of the songs. And then like the other 20% of the songs are another chord progression that like, it gets played out in different ways. And like, I don't care. Like I like, I like double whiskey, Coke, no ice better than American idiot for a lot of reasons. Right. Like, yeah. but I mean, I do, people, I haven't even heard it and I already yeah, like it. Exactly, better. Right? But like that there are a million people who fucking love American idiot. Right. And like, I just think like, I, I think like, especially with punk music, it's like, yeah, it probably is basically the same riff, but that doesn't yeah. mean it was either deliberately ripped off. And then right. again, like it gets complicated when the fact that green day made eight whole jillion dollars off off um you know like so american idiot, american idiot but it's always... also like meh. yeah you know there's again like that's like literally the opening 10 seconds like that riff repeats itself in the green day song but it's literally the opening 10 seconds of the dillinger 4 song like the rest of the dillinger 4 song doesn't sound like that right so it's a diss track <laughs> yeah green day dissing dillinger 4 and being green like day we stole Kanye. your hook 
Dillinger four is Andre three thousand. It makes sense now. And the American idiot is really the lead singer from Dillinger, Dillinger Four. Fuck yeah. you, dude. Well, they have three. Of them, all your so riff. Three American idiots. <laughs> yeah, um, you're yeah. all idiots. <laughs> you're all idiots for not also making a million dollars. Yeah, snoozy yeah, lose. That was that was their biggest problem. <laughs> yeah. But I no, do I mean, think that yeah, you got to go make some space for, uh, I guess renditions well, or because they they did come from the same scene like it's it's a little bit more hard to argue that like like, guys like and especially since green day is so like like they have so much money and here's the thing so this has been noted multiple times and it's never there's no like public information about it but the dillinger four guys the only thing they will all say to this all of them if you ask them about the thing, they'll just say no comment. And that's all they'll say. And on one hand, like I said in the original episode, could be just them thinking that would be the funniest bit to perform all for all time. Or it could be that they actually did come to some out of court arrangement that specifically prohibits them, like some kind of settlement. Non-disclosure. And they would take that for sure. Like knowing these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and so maybe that's a way of them maintaining their yeah you know whatever non-sellout status but 100 also like i don't think it was that much money then right like right, right. i think and i think like <laughs> unless it was and they're they just sitting just... on a pile of cash because they never wanted to do the whole tour thing so now they're just like well, here's the kicking thing. back on their like billy joe money <laughs> so eric funk the lead singer him and his wife co-owned a bar and again this is why i said blue collar ish Mm. Um, they co-owned a bar for years, um, which was the triple rock, uh, social club in Minneapolis. And, um, sounds, sounds a little hoity-toity to me. It's not actually, it's named after a blues, <laughs> it's a blues brothers reference of oh, okay. all things. Oh. Um, cause the, the church that they get their mission from God from is the triple rock Baptist church. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, so, so is that like a neighborhood or something? Triple rock? No, it's like three diamonds is their logo. As as far as I can tell is what it is. I don't know why it's called the Triple Mm, Rock other than that. Because their logo is three diamonds. That sounds pretty posh to me. Yeah, it's pretty fancy. (laughs) Maybe these guys are not so uh, punk after all. Yeah. Um, But they co-owned this bar since basically 1998. Um, But in 2003, they expanded from just a bar to a music thing. Nice. Um, and I don't know. I just like, I, it's like there's all this interesting stuff of like, um, <clears throat> yeah, you wonder, like, obviously these guys all, some of them have jobs, some of them don't, but they ran this club. And the thing is like the Triple Rock Social Club was like a big bar that was sort of for up and coming bands for years. They closed it in 2017. And you can actually go online and see the footage of them playing the last, it's literally titled like, the last song ever played at the triple rock or something like that. Mm. And it's Dillinger four playing one of their songs, which is very much sort of throwing shade at the, like the sort of careerist ambitions of, of punk bands. And like, right. and not even necessarily talking about one band, but punk rock millionaires in general, in general, the, the concept of like, and sort of like not even talking necessarily to those bands that are just now big superstars, but the people in the punk scene that seem to think they're superstars, they aren't. 
and are these DIY bands, but still when they come to the venue, they kind of act like, or they want to be salts, right? Like the whole, like that's, it's like, um, I don't want to get like one of their, one of the songs on their album, their album from 2002 is titled, um, uh, new punk fashions for the spring formal. And it's pretty obvious that that's like kind of derogatory and sarcastic. And like, they have multiple songs like that. Like the, um, the, the opening song on Midwestern songs of the Americas, um, one of the lyrics is like, now you got an ego 50 fanzines wide, which is like very much talking about people in the DIY punk scene. And it's not, again, it's not necessarily even an indictment of one person in particular. It's like an attitude that appeared in the scene. And like, they do kind of really go against that shit in the sense of like people treating it like it's not just a community. And that's kind of one like of it's a ladder like, to be climbed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or a scene to be exploited or whatever. Yeah. Because like, obviously like Eric Funk and his wife are running this bar and they've got employees, some of which are also in the band. Right. <laughs> like Patty and Bill were both like bartenders slash like managers of like this bar. So right. like, it's kind of interesting to think about playing with your boss in a band and like what, and also like the fact that they still get along after all these years is like, kind of this interesting thing where like, and the triple rock was a bar that offered, like it offered vegetarian food when no one else would in the city and stuff like that. And like, and it would host up and coming bands and it like, I don't think it operated at a loss, but I don't think they were like, you know, like putting money in the bank on this. Maybe they were, I don't know. It's hard to say, but um, they closed in 2017, you know? So and the whole thing, they play one of their songs that is like a rip on people who treat that attitude. And at the beginning of the song, Patty's like, the reason this bar is closing is because we feel like it's sort of becoming that place. It's becoming that place where people do that shit to get ahead. And we don't want it to be that. Hmm. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit of self, uh, what, you know, self, uh, justification or whatever, but like, it's interesting that they decided to close the bar and that's kind of what they talk about being the reason, right? Like they yeah. didn't want to get that big. They were like, we don't want, we don't want to go beyond this scene. We want this to be a scene that's like a community, at least in a certain sense, even if it's not a perfect community and not go beyond to like be this part of like this larger, like corporate machine. We know that we have to do that to a certain extent, but like, this is the limit we're willing to do that. Yeah that's cool so they yeah. again held back from selling out mm -hmm. uh, ostensibly by In the sounds sense. of it to or, or at least like selling out to a degree that they're uncomfortable compromising with their values yeah in the in the yeah in that definition of selling out whether or not there's a big payday for them on the other side of it obviously. exactly yeah yeah, yeah that's um, cool i think that's like a really thing like Again, like these are guys who, like I said earlier, like Green Day's released like 13 full albums. Like they've been going right. about like five or six years longer than Dillinger 4. Dillinger 4 has released five full albums. And one of those is like a collection of their old stuff that didn't make it onto the albums. So like these guys, like literally like their album releases were 1998, 2000, 2003, and 2008 was the last time they released an album. They are still like playing, touring. They're still like 
a fixture in their scene. Like they still right. do stuff. They just are like, we don't, we haven't had time to release an album in this long because that's not what we're focused on. Like we're focused on other things. Like, um, I think I have like a really good quote here. Like Eric, possibly the, the coolest thing about us is maybe that we still have fun doing it because we only do it in ways that are fun. So we've never put ourselves through miserable shit. We don't get ourselves in those situations. Every once in a while things go wrong, but a lot of, a lot of bands just put themselves in situations that suck and break up. Um, and then Patty's like, yeah. I know it sounds stupid from an outsider standpoint, but it's just impossible to nail down even like, do we have one to three months that all four of us could leave at the same time and tour for a new record? It wasn't even really till like a year ago that Eric called me and it literally took us six months to try and create a specific period of time where we'd actually have time to track a record and have time to go out and tour for it. And what they're talking about there is like, they all have lots. They're mm -hmm. all like a bunch of them have kids. Now they have day jobs. Like they all like, like, again, like Eric was running the bar till 2017. Like, uh, Bill, Bill, Billy Morissette was like, he was one of the co-founders of a co-op, the extreme noise records, which is like a, a record cooperative that's been running in Minneapolis since like the, or the mid nineties, like even awesome. before they started Dillinger four. And it's like, they obviously have day jobs. Like they all work in the, the bar industry or whatever to a certain extent, but it's like, they have lives and they don't, they don't let the band like dictate those lives. Their lives dictate what the band does. Mm. Right. And yet because... even still, they're still playing shows like their 25th anniversary was 2019, but they didn't feel like it that year. So they did their 25th anniversary on their 26th anniversary. <laughs> that is awesome. Like that's how they kind of do it. Yeah, right? sign up to it this year. We'll do it next year. <laughs> 26th anniversary tour. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, that's kind of what I like about the band is like, there is that like, and yet they're still so influential in a way that's almost comparable to Green Day right like that's what's yeah. really cool and i think like unique about this band is like it is their realness and their sort of like refusal to be anything but who they are that makes that gives them their staying power i guess is what i'm saying mm -hmm. and that's like i think like in a weird way like that's what i admire about them for a long time but it was only more recently like when i first heard them i was like oh this is a cool band but they're not my favorite like i like this band I've really grown to love this man over the years. Like they're like in a high rotation at all times for me. And it nice. wasn't a thing. It was like a mix of, of seeing like, I like of hearing about their live reputation and seeing the stuff they put out and seeing them do this over the years where I was like, damn, these guys are fucking cool. I really like these guys. And, and that brought me to listen to their music more and appreciate it more. And now I just like, I love all four of those records so much. And I can't tell how much of it is just like, I genuinely like this music, which I think I do because I like this music and it grew on me versus like, I just respect what they're doing so much. But yeah, yeah. I think it's just grown into both over the years, which is something that's really cool for me and something that keeps bringing me back to their records. Yeah. That's, that's really sweet. I think it's kind of cool to see um, something that is not that it's just like a hobby or like whatever, but it's something that's not consuming somebody's life entirely like you got to imagine that the green day dudes have a completely different life from what their life was in yeah totally. in the year 1990 <laughs> you know what i mean whereas these guys it seems like 
between the year 93 and like 2013 or, you know, 2023 or whatever. Sure. Like a few things have changed here and there. Everyone's gotten a bit older or whatever, but they're still kind of doing their thing and their and music is there and music yeah, is important. Absolutely. And the music that they like that particular band is having an outsized impact relative mm -hmm. to like the emotional energy and like life um i don't know life units <laughs> that are expended on it yeah right? exactly Whereas green day, don't, green day you're like yeah, yeah go ahead, you're, you're getting a bunch like they're everyone's super rich but you don't need to be very rich <laughs> so that's yeah, the silly exactly. thing it's yeah. like so you mm -hmm. and now there's all this pressure and there's all this stuff and there's like they become like kind of each they're each like little mini industries. Each of those individual band members probably has like a small village worth of handlers and managers and dip -do and this yeah, and that and exactly. whatever. And, and what about the lawyers and what about the this and what about the that and uh, the caterers and the, the housing stuff and mm -hmm. different properties and all this shit. And how are you going to manage your wealth? Suddenly it's a fucking small village for each of them. And they're not, they, it's impossible for you to be yourself. Yeah. And I think like to, like to a certain extent, like, the reason Green Day has 13 albums is because they had to keep churning stuff out, you know, like it exactly. was their job and it becomes this thing of like, yeah, you know what? I think the last few records Green Day has put out have been kind of like, do you guys really like writing songs anymore? Like, I don't think you do. <laughs> like, I don't mean that in a bad way. Actually. I don't think their stuff is bad. I think they're quite competent at writing songs. I just wonder if it has the same like mm -hmm. feeling that it did when they were writing like Kerplunk or Dookie, right? Where it was like this album that, Billy Joe wrote about how he like did nothing but like felt shitty and masturbated a bunch. And like, he was just <laughs> expressing like his, the conditions of his life, which were like not great in a certain sense. Like he, a lot of it was his own depression, but it was also just like living in the end of the nineties when it's sort of like, there is no alternative. This is the end of history. This is what you get. And that in a way he sort of had like this weird, easy life being like a Gen Xer that sort of like, but also had this milieu of like, is this all there is? Like, and that turned into this punk energy that felt like very real to a lot of people at the time of like, this isn't like, again, like you said, Craig, it's not explicitly like, it's not like you have like the clash who are talking about like Washington bullets or like some actual political thing, but there is a politics underneath it of like, this is the reality I'm living because of like things like poverty or even just like, we've been, we've been told this is the, this suburban life is the life. And this is what you aspire for, but I and have how come, that. And yeah. my parents had that. And now I have it by default and I feel so, it feels so fake and phony because it is, but they, right. don't, they don't necessarily wreck like, but there's just that howl to that, the music of like that primal, like, fuck this shit. Like this shit is bullshit. I don't even know how it's bullshit. I don't know why it's bullshit, but I fucking know it's bullshit. And that's like and what people responded to where it's like, exactly. Boulevard of broken dreams. Great. It feels like a rich guy talking about like walking through a poor neighborhood and feeling sorry for those people. And I, again, like, I don't mean that Billy Joe has no sympathy or that like, you know, if the fucking revolution happened, he wouldn't be like picking up a gun. Maybe he will pick up a gun and, and do what he do, whatever is like, or not even pick up a gun, whatever happens in the revolution, but like hugs hugs whatever or he'd be like yeah i don't need the money i just want to keep playing music etc etc but like it just doesn't feel like it's the same it comes from the same place it's like feels like a bit of come from, comes from it's like well i want to put my kid through college or like i want a huh. second mansion or like right. you, i don't know what yeah. else to do because i'm 45 and i don't have any other right. skills except but for yeah. writing songs now like that's all i've done for the past 20 you years wonder, I've, I've often wondered that too does does as a songwriter like 
obviously i f- feel like your songs like as you're writing them they can have more meaning and they might have more meaning to an audience if they like come from that place of authenticity which is why like yeah but the earlier stuff like when they were writing about the stuff going on in their lives might have like like resonated more with people because they were actually living and experiencing those things that they're and doing. That they but can't write authentic music. I don't think like, I think he really does did like think George Bush was a piece of shit. And I agree with him in that sense. I just am also like, yeah, but like you made a hajillion dollars off it. And like, I don't know, like at the same time, like you have I more in common with George W. Bush than you have with me at this and, stage. And it's not <laughs> even though like American idiot is a fun song. Like when it comes on at a party, I'm like, yeah, American idiot. Like, Woo, I'd rather listen to this than like whatever, like whatever the like Keith Garth Brooks or whoever was oh saying they'd stick a boot up people's ass after 2004. Like, you know, like I just like, I like that song. It's fine. It just, it doesn't hit me the same way. And that may be also an age thing because I know younger people who like this was also the record that got them into punk. That's like this weird contradiction I keep coming back to with this whole thing is like I got into punk through bands like Green Day no effects like these bands that were popping off in the early 90s yeah like you said craig um or even more like like suicidal tendencies or bane or these sort of like really like actual like they were punk bands that kind of broke into the mainstream but there are people who like i know that like they listen to american idiot and they're like in their 20s now or whatever like whatever they were they were 16 and 94 in in 2004 instead of like being 19 like i was and that was their gateway into the exact same music that I listen to now. And right. they, they are part of that scene. And Green Day was the reason they kind of fell into that scene. And that doesn't mean that everyone listens to Green Day does that. But it's still like this cool thing that like, I don't even like that band per se. Like I would never go buy the American Idiot album and like put it on. But the fact that there are kids who were like brought into these same like values that I I was brought into as like not only a teenager, but like a young adult. It's just like, really it's on one hand, like I'm like, oh, fuck green day. Like I don't like them as much. I don't like their new stuff personally, musically or like whatever. But like at the same time, like it's just a guy playing music for a living that like does sometimes still get these kids into this actual, this, this, this community that I'm a part of. Even yeah. It's like a compromised and, and like, twisted by capitalism in certain ways community right because that's the reality of what they have to do to keep going of and course. actually continue this community. yeah yeah and after a certain point the grudge or whatever like you know holding the grudge as a fan of an act that becomes popular beyond your expectations and maybe you lose interest in that um you, you have to either let that go or else you like stop yourself maybe not from that specific band or whatever but i feel like there's like a muscle memory or like a synapse or something that allows you to like dismiss good mm-hmm. things for dumb reasons <laughs> you yeah. know or potentially good things for dumb reasons and a lot of people get caught up in on their principles and stuff of like i'm not a you know i'm not a fuck i don't know um i'm a uh neil young not a Leonard Skinner person or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Right. It's or, like these, these sort of like ultimately things that are like, I'm a West coast hip hop person, not an East coast hip hop person. I'm a Nas mm-hmm. person, not right. a Jay-Z person. Yeah, I'm a exactly. and Kanye, it's like, not a Drake person <laughs> or whatever. They, they do stand in for these larger sort of like cultural ex- differences. And like, again, like I know people who just listen to green day and they're like, that's a punk band to me. That's the only punk band. And I'm like, 
okay, cool. I don't, I don't agree with that. And I think like, I think you're missing out. Well, it's like, just not true. But it's also not like enough of my, like there are people who make it enough. They're identity. like, yeah, like fucking people who listen to Green Day are fucking posers, bro. And I think that's finally like really disappeared. Like it's a rare attitude now. And I think it needs to go. Well, I think away. that comes with age. I think yeah. that when you're a teenager, that's the type of thing of like, oh yeah, you didn't earn that t-shirt. Well, uh, that you're play. wearing like i've been, like, I've been fans of that of that band for two months and so you don't get to wear their t-shirt until you've been a fan for at yeah, least that and long I, and you're I like i don't like, know if you get to police that homie i think like that's <laughs> Sorry. what dillinger for also is is good at is sort of like pointing out where that bullshit is is like they're not they are complaining about like the people who treat this like a fucking like whatever but they are like also like they're not like they're not like fuck Green Day, fuck that band. They're just like, yeah, man, that's Green Day does their thing and we do ours. Like, you know, in a bunch of the interviews, like they just like start talking about um records or whatever, right? And they like bring stuff up and they're very like they love the bands. They have a bunch of friends who are in like bands that make a living doing this. And they they're like, that's cool, but that's not us, right? Yeah. And I think like again, like Dillinger Four embodies that what I've tried to be more now these days is like just be like yeah, man, this is my thing. I, I don't think it's a lot of people saying it doesn't have to be. And like, I don't care if you don't like this or if you just listen to whatever, but at the same time, I'm like, to me, like the part of the appeal is that it's not this big pop thing. It's like this an underground thing in a way that like, not just is like something that I can be like, look at me, I'm so underground, but it is something that's sort of like a community that knows each other. And that like, to a certain extent, like, cares for each other beyond what's just expected of us. And like, and it's done imperfectly and it's not always true, but it's like, that's when it's at its finest, right? Is like living in these weird little contradictions of like trying to be anti-capitalist under capitalism, even if it's in like your taste in music or something. And there's like, there's like a sort of like value and a moral value in it. But at the same time, it's not necessarily like this exclusionary thing that you're like, I'm better than those people who don't, who aren't into this for whatever reason they're not. Right. right. So yeah, I don't know. Cause I used to be that guy, I think when I was younger. So I'm trying not to be. Yeah. There's still no shortage of, of music snobs out there. I feel, but for different reasons, fine. I feel like there's not, I feel like the punk scene is like, not uh, like, yeah, I, I feel like that's more of like, well, I think like, I've definitely experienced it in hip hop and rock and roll, but. Well, I think I it exists like it's in not punk a... too, but I yeah. think it's also. Oh like no, it totally and, does. Yeah, I think it's more outrageous, and maybe like it seems that much more of a glaring yeah, contradiction that for that to be your part of your persona as and somebody think... in in a punk music or punk community. Yeah, totally. to be like, oh, so that's like your the thing that you like, sure, because sure, it's like the opposite yeah. of kind of the idea of punk is like being yourself and free and being like radically yourself yeah and in that same youtube video <laughs> that like we're talking about with like the end of the thing and patty's talking about like i don't want this shit to be like whatever it is they're like they're like they've got the music playing in the club before and like boston comes on and they're all like this song fucking rules like we all need to admit that this song is more than a feeling and they're yeah, like yeah. we need to admit That's this song because it rules it's so good like we all love it and like one of them starts air guitaring when his he had like billy starts air guitaring while he has a guitar on him and he's like, I don't care. I love it. And like, and it's just like, yeah, they still fucking love like Boston, even though Boston is like the way they've conducted themselves as a band was completely antithetical to the way these guys conduct themselves as a band. Right. right? And that's fine. But they love that song. 
And like one of their Good albums one. is called uh, Situationist Comedy, um, which is like a portmanteau of Situation Comedy, aka sitcom, and then the Situationist International, which was this group from like the 60s in like a very like tumultuous time that were sort of like the big their big thing was like, well, capitalism has sort of like commodified art and turned it into a spectacle. And we need to disrupt that spectacle by doing dumb stuff with art basically like that's like a very like simplification but it was like the only way we're going to actually break through this is if like this sort and again they were talking about what was happening at the time but i think you can look at it today and i think like um dillinger four sort of like embodies that in a way of like trying to trying to like recognizing that they love this stuff that's like part of the spectacle or like this sort of like capitalist system and recognizing what they love mm. about it isn't necessarily all of it. And that like they have to straddle this line and try and disrupt this spectacle while also kind of eventually just being subsumed into it ultimately. Right. Like knowing right. that it's part of you at the same time. And, and like, being aware and being able to make fun of it and like exist and be comfortable in that space. Exactly. And like, yeah. I think Patty had this quote, he's like, well, there's two meanings for that album name. One is more optimistic that like, Dillinger Four is the kind of a situationist comedy. It's like, on one hand, they're like sort of like this band that sings about like you know one of their lyrics is like, "Mother won't let me listen to Radio Havana." They talk about the minimum wage. They will talk about politics stuff. Like they have shirts that are like the 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 um like they have a shirt that's like the the acceptance of intolerance is not intolerant. It's like it's a very like political shirt, but they sell that and like they and they and they they believe it. And at the same time, like, yeah, they get drunk and they do stupid stuff on stage. Um, it's like, we're making some political points, but in a way that just is crazy and sort of like a fun time, which is also really important to what we do in the sense of like building community. Uh. It's like, we both take ourselves seriously and these ideas seriously, but we also recognize that there's fun mm-hmm. to be had with them. And it's uh, a yeah. hard balance to strike, right? It is, yeah. But I think that is, it's also really effective too, because if if you can engage people in that way when that's like they're kind of like fostering like ideals that might you know help their community but at the same time making it fun it's like yeah that's like great. why 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 wouldn't i want to go to this punk show and maybe like donate to like a good cause or something or exactly and it's not gonna like fix that. everything but it's gonna it's gonna fix it's gonna just foster a good sense that might lead to more people fixing things, right? And that's and when like, punk is at its best. Yeah, absolutely. I totally. And it's agree. got like an inspirational tip, and people are vibing with it, and it doesn't even need, again, it doesn't even need to be the music or like specific to genre-wise the music. It could be like a fucking, you know, um, somebody playing the bagpipes. <laughs> alone on stage like the last thing that you would identify with just <laughs> punk music exactly right? but like Broken the music and the vibe and the like community and whatever that's kind of the whole it's it's pretty multifaceted and i think exactly yeah. that the idea mm-hmm. of something like a green day or even the idea of something like a dillinger four um can both encompass that betray it and like corrupt it but also like it's not limited to just that right yeah, it's and what think, anyone makes of it in any in any given moment yeah and to round it out with the rest of that patty quote which is quite long i have oh, sorry, a lot Joe. of long quotes i mean, no it's fine I, that's good that you made that point because he said there's also the flip side which is a more bitter pessimistic view of of situation as comedy which is punk rock in general like 
he says you have these pop punk bands and they're selling 250,000 records and their songs are all about their girlfriends. And it's like, he says, how did this come out of that? Like this used to be a threat. Now it's like, you know, like schmaltzy talking about girlfriends and not that you can't have a good song about like romance or whatever that means something, but like, he's like, this is not what this is. And he says like it, that's a situationist comedy in a certain way too, of the sense of like, there's no point. And I do think like that approach of the situationist of sort of like taking the spectacle and making it so extreme that it breaks itself sometimes ends up in that. What it is, is it's sort of like that, like that, like um, tolerance approach. Like what, what that approach eventually ended up doing was sort of just making everything a spectacle. Like, and, and, and capitalism was able to just like keep recuperating it. And even Dillinger Ford to a certain extent are part of like, they sell records, they make money, you know, they yeah. don't, they don't pay their entire rent with their band, but I'm, I'm certain they've sold enough records to like have pocketed some money at some point. Right. Like even if it didn't, and it's just like, they sort of encompassed both of those. It's like, there are times where someone will go to see them and they're just too drunk to play. And they're just like be a fucking chit show. And that can be fun or like, as Patty also said, like he said, he went and saw it. like basically in these like latest years, he's kind of been like, he went and saw Shane McGowan and Shane McGowan is known as someone who like, yeah, sometimes you're going to go and you're not going to see a single Pogue song or what a Shane McGowan song or whatever. Right. And he got that experience from Shane and he was like, damn, I've people's been, I've been people's Shane McGowan. Right. And he, they kind of made some rules that they were like, we're going to try and not have too many beers before we go on stage. And they don't, he says they don't always succeed. And like, but they're trying to do that more succeed. now. And we're like trying, Eric said, well, yeah, people pay like 15, <laughs> 20, 30 bucks to see us now, which again, isn't that much, but to them, like yeah. guys who still work for a living, they're like, we understand that for a lot of people, like that's their weekend. So like we are a big enough band that we don't want to like, just be that band that people pay 30 bucks to see and are like man fuck dillinger for like they're right. aware of that and also at the same time they're like yeah but i'm doing this for me i'm not making any money off it so yeah sometimes they're gonna get wasted and not be a good show but they're gonna be a good show you know what i'm saying right yeah and that's the one of the contradictions of the <clears throat> concept of punk too right mm-hmm. like kind of like going back to that free speech boundary trope thing but like my radical self-expression um bumps up against your radical self-expression yeah <laughs> exactly like, yeah. No, like nobody's happy or like <laughs> everybody's happy depending on how we figure it out but, exactly yeah you know you want part of you wants your favorite punk band to be like misfits and fucking act out and do something fucking dumb and exactly silly and right? hilarious like a piece of like living art where exactly. they pissed mm-hmm. off a whole um, auditorium full of people because they're all too drunk to play. Yeah, exactly. The, all these punks who are like, or whatever, who all these people who are like, no, like I'm the most punk. No, I'm the most punk. And like preening and fucking exactly, preening right? at themselves. <laughs> and actually they all got out punked by the fucking band that they just all spent money to 
exactly uh, fucking go see it just showed them up by getting way drunker and partying way harder and being way bigger shitheads than they are so you know and like the irony is delicious as like performance art it's like lovely exactly. people love that shit well, but if you were the there whole, on that day then you probably wouldn't love it yeah and it goes into the whole like individual be yourself versus collective be yourself right it's like there's that joke like don't be always be yourself unless you suck and it's like yeah, that's kind of true. And that gets into what I'm talking about with punk is like it exists in this, these communities need to exist in this gray area between like we have these rules and these laws and we have like societal norms and shit that are like some of them are there for a reason and some of them are there for a reason that goes away. And then some of them were never there for a reason. They were they were just something we kind of all did. Constructs. Constructs. And they need to be broken and they sometimes need to be broken in a way that's like uncomfortable. And then sometimes oh, there are rules that someone genius. made because they suck and they want to keep people from doing something good that doesn't make them money or doesn't gain them power. And those especially need to be pushed against. And, and sometimes it's a mix. And sometimes you think it's one thing and then it turns out to be another thing. And then yeah. you're the asshole. And I think like part of Dillinger 4 and like the ethos of this DIY punk is like, I'm going to be the asshole. I'm always going to try and be the asshole when it's appropriate. The person that says the thing that needs to be said, even if it's uncomfortable, I am sometimes going to like get drunk and lick my friend's dick. And it's going to turn into a story about <laughs> how I blew a guy on stage and like, or like worse, right? Like I'm going to get right. drunk and like fall on someone and like hurt them or at least ruin their night. Yeah. Or like maybe these guys get drunk and after the show, they run outside and there's like, you know, like, they they do or whatever i don't know i'm just saying like maybe there's loud enough and they shout someone down a woman or someone that they shouldn't have shouted down because she also got groped in the pit that night and they didn't know but they did but then she tried to like say something that ended up sounding like something else and they kind of shouted her down and then they realized they're wrong or what and that's just like a really convoluted stupid like make up a guy to be mad at <laughs> but my point is like i've been the loud like i've been like i said part of the reason i'm like well, maybe I won't get drunk here or like have too many beers is because I've been to parties where I've had too many beers and I've done something and someone has been like, that was not cool. You shouldn't have done that. And like, you didn't like ruin yourself and our friendship, but like, I'm enough of a friend that I'm going to tell you, you fucked up so you yeah. can like make amends. And like, I think like to a certain extent, I have to accept that, that that's going to happen to me sometimes. And if I have the grace to be like, I fucked up, I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean even not getting drunk, but it just means like, I think about that next time. Right. And I calibrate my, my rowdiness and my loudness when it's appropriate. And I do think Dillinger four, like are trying to do that, even when they don't always succeed, which is really admirable in a certain sense. Always calibrate, never too late to recalibrate. It's really (laughs) never too late. And that's like, it's cool that they've only had five albums and their last album was released in 2008. Cause they're like, yeah, we've written new songs. We just don't feel like it. Like we haven't had the time. Like we don't want to like break this feeling that we have. We don't want to force ourselves to do something that is going to make us hate each other and be miserable. And we'd rather be friends or whatever we are as a band and keep that good feeling than like give in to like what bands are supposed to, I guess is what mm-hmm. I really, and yeah, that's a roundabout way of getting at it, but you know, I have um I have a reflection on um on punk communities um scenes that I want mm. to share that share. 
that I've only just kind of realized. And it's about how crucial that space is. And we've, and Joe, you touched on it um, earlier, how, you know, how oftentimes the, it, it isn't successful, how oftentimes people don't feel safe in yeah. some of those scenes and those communities and rightfully so, and how generally communities in general of all types need to be better, uh, need to be yeah. more resilient and better at making people, making the members of that community feel safe and, and mm -hmm. welcome and in order to, for everyone to thrive and to grow or whatever. But the crucial aspect of like a counterculture, uh, countercultural like scene or like an anti-establishment or whatever underground scene is that you are in, in its essence, you're kind of eschewing norms. Like, yeah. you know, like it, this isn't fucking, this isn't Sunday school. This isn't school. This isn't the playground. This isn't like X, Y, and Z institution. There are like no norms here except what we make as a norm. Yeah, And so exactly. you don't, you don't need to fucking put, you don't need to set this table a certain way. You don't need to put your elbows a certain place when you're eating. You don't need to do like X, Y, and Z thing that uh, manners in the rest of the world or in the rest of society would dictate that you need to do. But there are some things that you still do need to do. And yeah, you feel exactly. them out as being a part of a community like that. You feel out what those things are. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, you know, um, you know, grabbing somebody without their consent isn't acceptable in the shopping center and it isn't acceptable at school and it isn't acceptable at the workplace. And it's also not acceptable in this space. And I even, think like, like even though we've like, upended everything else in this space and, you know, maybe there is no hierarchy. Well, how are we going to function without hierarchy? Well, we don't maybe necessarily know, but what we do know is, is that it, even without a hierarchy, it's still unacceptable to grab people without their yeah. consent. And That's like, just a boundary. That is a thing. And we can rebuild like uh, something similar to what is resembles a society without using all the same trappings of the society and still be civil. I don't want to say civilized because it's a fucking stupid word, but still, still be respectful and still we have still everyone. Be respectful and have a community and, and make it welcome. I think, yeah, and make like, people feel like they can express themselves. Like, again, like I want everybody to be able to come to that space and be a drunken mess if, or not even a drunken mess. Cause like there are some scenes where it's not acceptable to be a drunken mess, but like be a mess, be a weirdo, be like, and it, that can be a weirdo like me where I'm like loud and obnoxious, or it can be like a quiet weirdo who just wants to sit and watch the whole thing unfold. If you want to come to a punk show and you don't want to be part of it, but you just want to experience it and you want to sit in the back calmly and like sip an herbal tea. Like I want that space to be available in that show, even if the rest, and as long as you're fine with us hooting and hollering and jumping around, like, you're welcome to do that. And I'm sorry if I bump into you and spill your tea, I'll buy you another tea to make up for it. And, and hopefully that's good, right? Like, it's like, there are those going to be those things where it's like, we bump against each other and we, we have the friction of that moment or like, yeah. like a, you, we can mosh, mm -hmm. we can have a mosh pit, but when someone falls over, most of the punk shows I've been to, everybody, there's three people who suddenly stop and put their arms out and grab the person and lift them up. Right. Like, it's not true everywhere, but it's like almost, it's so universally mm -hmm. true. It just, it's, it's, like, a, it's a good bell, bellwether on, that the, is, it on is the vibe though, for sure. Yeah. This wasn't at a punk show. This was probably more of a metal show, but that's one of the things that I like 
realized and was like, Hey man, this crowd's all right. Cause like, yeah, you're in there moshing yeah. and you get fucked up by someone and get knocked down, but there's someone right there. Like to like, kind of like be like, you all well, right, like, man, back in there. Yeah. You have these angry, aggressive feelings. I have them too. Let's get them out, but let's get them out in a way that the community accepts and that we care for each. We're caring for each other by doing this. We're letting each other do this thing that isn't appropriate in, you know, our homes or with our families, what we can do together. That's a bonding experience, but we know where the boundaries are. We, and we've thought about the boundaries and we've decided, you know, this is our boundary because people will get hurt. And when people get hurt, that's not fun for me anymore. I want to like, yeah, I want to feel sore after. And like, I'm fine with a couple of bruises (laughs) on my chest, but like, if people are getting stepped on or fingers are broken, like, no, I don't want that. I don't want that for people in this group because I want us to feel like we can be ourselves in a way that's also like respects the other people around us. And again, that doesn't always happen, but like, it's like, that's the ideal that you're going for. And and I think like, that's really like something that is like still very important to me. And like, I think that's the other thing that I, if I could just go on for a bit is like, what I liked about punk was that I could take the spirit of it to other things and realize like, yeah, sometimes I just have to do the thing I think is what is appropriate and that will help this situation. And like, normally people wouldn't do that in this situation because they're like, is that how, what I'm supposed to do? Like, is that appropriate? And it's like, punk has allowed me to be like, well, fuck man, we decide what's appropriate. Like, and if we decide that's appropriate and we all feel comfortable with it and to, you know, within reason, then, And there's always that part of like within reason, obviously. And it's sometimes unspoken and sometimes it has to be spoken, but it's like, it's like it exists in this space that is both like, like you said, Craig, like a fuck you, but is also like a loving fuck you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such a crucial space. I think that that, uh, being exposed to that has led me to understand the world the way that I do, which for better or worse or whatever, it is what it is but that it's possible to not necessarily follow um, like what is dictated to you as like the, the roadmap for life yeah, and still have a perfectly happy and like productive life. And also to have like a positive influence on the world in ways that I think in often um, in a lot of examples, people think that's, you know, the template for success or whatever, this or that or whatever, that's like the biggest contribution. Or then like, okay, we'll yeah. become successful and then give back. And like, well, you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like exactly, start, a, yeah. start a fucking shitty weird charity or some shit like that. <laughs> or whatever it is. But it's like, is that really like the most you can do? Or could you actually have done more authentically like at a lower level and actually had more of an impact and not... Do you know what I mean? And not, maybe not be measured as a success uh, in the traditional sense um, in the same way, but have stayed true to yourself in a radical way. And also exactly, true to that yeah. idea of like reform what this looks like. Like you don't need a, an institution that enforces a s- certain section of laws to like intervene in our lives if we're all just like not shitty to each other exactly and then that takes power away from an institution that oh hang on is actually like an appendage of oppression and fucking like tyranny and genocide towards sections of our of our society of our community of our country of our planet 
and and living in this the, this these spaces mm-hmm. like understanding that like i think like what our current system offers is sort of like almost like a it just gives you a template where you feel like you don't have to exist in those uncomfortable spaces that aren't always don't have a clear or sort of have like an a fuzzy boundary or a boundary that like you have to discover or maybe someone does have to push to to establish and then and then being okay and i feel like that's kind of like the siren song of the the mainstream culture is like part of that is turning off that part of your brain that is like com- that has to navigate those complex yeah, spaces because we'll tell you just, what to do they'll mm-hmm. we'll tell you what's right yeah, and wrong yeah. down to like what you should drink and what you should eat and of course that just happens to coincide with everything that will give us more money and power right and it's like part of recognizing that you that these spaces are oppressive is 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 being okay with like you know while we live under these structures like there are limits there are rules and there are things that are right and wrong but we also recognize that those things have a malleableness and live in a a gray zone and and certain things aren't necessarily just that like there are things where people are just going to be different and do, and communities are going to do things in different ways. And we're okay with that. And we, when we enter those communities, we can respect those boundaries and then go back to a different community and have a different boundary and, and be okay knowing that those, those are the different boundaries in those communities. And we don't have to analyze it or overthink it. We can just be like Hmm. both like, well, why is this boundary here? And like, okay, we've decided this boundary is here because it's important to us. And, and just, yeah, just live in those uncomfortable spaces. And it, it takes a bit of bravery to do that, I think. And I think like, that's what punk really taught. And that's what I try to carry out of punk into everything I do and into like my own, like resistances against capitalism or whatever. So, yeah. 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 It really resonates with me. Um, I had a big awakening or like moment when I realized, because it was always the my understanding of what the world was about um fit in well with i guess the corollary of like smarter people like you know the professionals the 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 leaders the best the best people the best the most capable people those are the people that are in charge of everything and they've got it all figured out yeah Mm -hmm. that's why they're in charge yeah, exactly. And then realizing that that wasn't the case and it's much more yeah, ad hoc. Totally. And it's not only is it much more ad hoc in a way, but it's also much more deliberate in terms of, well, they just get actually the people who get to be in charge of anything are always kind of selected out of a surprisingly small exactly. community yeah. of people that might not share our interests, our being everyone, um, and might more just be interested in their own interests, uh, mm-hmm. their own being their community and perpetuating the institutions yeah support exactly them and then suddenly it's like well so we can do stuff like without that (laughs) we can totally do like all this shit and we can also like just decide together like not as into just individuals but as a group we can navigate we can navigate those in uncomfortable ways that we might have to some of us might have to give or take right like or understand like you know, this person has a way harder time than I, so I am the one here that needs to give, you know, like that's an important part of it. I think that like Dylan mm. Jafar also embody is like, mm-hmm. whoa, like there are times when we're taking up too much space, like the, the $15 discussion, like, is mm-hmm. this us taking up too much space or is this us 
sticking to our guns and they evaluate that on the situation. And I think like, that's what makes them in a way that green day just isn't allowed to be like, sort of like green day. Of course they would go to, they would charge $15 or whatever. Maybe they would charge 10 because they know that they'll sell more shirts and that will like give them more advertising, but that's the calculus they have to make because they need the advertising because they're, they're paying their bills with this. Whereas Dillinger four is like, well, we can charge 10 or we can charge 15. What do we think is right? It's yeah. for green day. It's not about what's right anymore. It's about what keeps them going. No, they and can't. They don't have the luxury of being able to reflect on it and exactly. make a decision and, based on their principles. And yeah. they also, that's something that ne- not necessarily is a hundred percent their choice. I think they do have choice. And like that well, specific hmm. situation is maybe one that doesn't apply to both bands because of the difference between them. But, but generally the machinery around a band like green day doesn't allow for yeah, that. They don't even make those decisions. <laughs> it's beyond and, them. Now. And, they mm-hmm. couldn't, and they wouldn't, if they did, they wouldn't be effective at their jobs too. Well, sense, exactly. Right? It yeah. would be like a manager would be like, Oh, I hated working with green day. Like why the hell do you want to get involved in what t-shirt prices are? Yeah, you fucking idiots. Exactly, like right? they com- completely lacking in professionalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the stupid right. punks. Right. I, yeah. I think that you, yeah, I don't know if you can grow to a green day status and still be like a Dillinger four because you can't No, absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of it. And that's part of the reason Dillinger four did right? Like, yeah. And they could have, like, they don't even, they would refuse to do work to it because they don't like it. They said they won't play any gig that they wouldn't have paid to themselves to see. And one of those includes work to it because they're like old guys who want to go home after two bands, <laughs> like not. And again, like that also means that they don't get access to that. Like they could have gone to a work tour and blown up in a sense, right? Like not necessarily, but like they didn't even mm-hmm. take that as an option because they were just like, you know what? I don't like, playing outside i don't like the work tour whereas green day is kind of like even if they didn't like the work tour they have to play it because it's like necessary it was at one point necessary to sustain their audience right so yeah Yeah, they have obligations Um, and uh on that note i think like this was a really fascinating discussion and i think this was really cool to do with you guys again it was really nice to record a classic three of us episode yeah Yeah. a topic that is both like something personal to one of us that then the rest of us sort of bring our own things to it and like yeah thanks joe um i'm also interested to hear the new uh because you have such a, like a perspective on punk and the punk scene that it's been oh man we're gonna do really more eye-opening to me that. so we'll we'll definitely do more of that but again dillinger 4 has a band camp bandcamp.dillinger4.com or whatever you know what to do um, we all, I think, need to urinate because we've all been drinking beer. As, just uh, crushing them. Just crushing them. Like a them true away. punk Like a show punk rock Dillinger 4. Um, <laughs> so we're going to sign off, but thank you again for listening to Second Bananas. Uh, please let us know if you like this episode. Uh, SecondBananasPod at gmail.com um, I think we're going to skip uh, plugs just because we all got to pee. <laughs> But um, <laughs> we'll uh, see you guys soon for another episode of Second Bananas. And if anyone wants to talk about Dillinger 4, you know where to find us. All Thanks right. All. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.